Hello, my fellow Westorians. How goes it on this fine Wednesday afternoon or evening, whatever you want to call it, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you enjoyed Monday or Sunday's episode. I think that it was super popular around here. We loved it, and I think it's just doing crazy well with book readers in general. It was called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and it was in many ways a love letter to fans, in particular book readers, but a lot of show uh, watchers, show-only people loved it as well. In tonight's episode, I hope we can craft our own love letter to that love letter. And Ashea, we have some great minds to help on that topic with yeah, us today, don't we? Yeah, we do. As always, we have Lady Gwynn of Radio Westeros, but we have another guest today. We have Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair, A Storm of Spoilers, A Cast of Kings, still watching so much more. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, your Just... titles list of podcasts and, <laughs> and, and things yeah, that you write is like Daenerys. Daenerys yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hi, Joanna. Thanks for having me to talk right. about my very favorite thing in the world. I appreciate it. It lined up so well because we had you last season on to, at the end of the season to talk about um, Jamie going north. We called it the Kingslayer Goes North. And we arranged this time with you as soon as we saw that Jamie's trial thing would be a big part of this episode. And boy, that worked out really well because what an amazing episode that was. And we have so much to talk about. Uh, and it, so this episode is very Jamie heavy. So it works out as a nice bookend to uh, our previous discussion. Um, you know, Jamie wouldn't be so heavy if he had a different kind of metal on his hand. You know, gold mm-hmm. is really heavy. He needs like tinfoil for his hand. That would also work with, well, you know. Someone, uh, someone mentioned that uh, the um, that Jamie should have a dragon glass hand so he could just like punch the White Walkers with his dragon glass hand. Whoa, that's Whoa. a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Should have had Gendry make that for him. He could have had his own blueprints for Gendry. Arya's like, everybody's like, everybody's bringing me their personal weapons. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> uh, despite this Jamie synchronicity of our prior episode with Joanna, this episode was a shared moment between a huge cast of characters. And if anyone stole the show, it wasn't Jamie, though he came close. I'd say it was Brienne. And uh, they were both crucial in each other's biggest moments. And that's really cool. And we're grateful for that to the show and to Brian Cogman who wrote this episode and Joanna you have interviewed Brian Cogman so you have this extra insight to bring to the table uh, sort of um, indirectly through that interview so uh, that's really cool yeah I know that like I have been talking to he was nice enough to come on our still watching podcast a couple times uh, this season and I know that he's been really looking forward to everyone seeing this episode that he's really excited that he got to do this one because Brian's always been really good at those like people talking in rooms episodes and uh, and so he was really excited to do this one and he was like I hope everyone likes it he was really anxious because I think you know there's I think of it this way there's like two kinds of fans watching Game of Thrones right now there's more than two kinds but two major categories which is like the people who are here for like the F yeah, dragons blowing stuff up, and then the people who like really like the chewy character dialogue stuff. And uh, this is definitely an episode for the latter. And yeah, just, you know that's us. I think so. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely true. What about you, Lady Gwen? What are your first, uh, you know, quick takes on the episode overall? Did you love it as much as I'm suggesting we all did, or am I speaking out of turn? No, absolutely, I did. Uh, you know. I think this was a great, um, as you said, love letter, not just to not just to um, to fans, 
but to the source material. Because if anyone can write great characterization and the sort of thing that we saw in this episode, um, it's George R. R. Martin. So, you know, in writing this episode, I feel like he really brought us back to the original source. Yeah. Um, in, in a way that we haven't seen in a while because it has been a lot of blowing things up and dragons and kind of that fuck yeah moment <laughs> yeah there was uh yeah it's I, I have a good name well no it's not my name you hear that the term tits and dragons thrown around for the the basics of the the low you know like whatever you want to call the lowest common denominator of the fandom um i, well, I don't mean that to sound negative but because <laughs> people can like what they want you're allowed to appreciate just the tits and dragons if you want but clearly that is not what our show is about and not what y'all our guests are about either so um, we have a lot to talk about. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and we have, speaking of gratitude uh, for this episode and for Brian Cogman and the fandom in general, we have a couple of patrons to give quick shout outs to. Thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the uh, long snapper, History of Westeros' first sword. Thanks also to uh, our dragon riders, Telenis the Talon, King of Gagasos, rider of Telerius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. And Robert IV of House Ardeacor, burned king of Blazewater Bay, rider of Atroxus, a black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. And I got to tell you, that dragon looks more appropriate for Night King than, <laughs> than Viserion. <laughs> Someone had a better idea. So... Let's see here. Let's get right into it. Um, let's start with Jamie and Brienne. Um, on Monday, we talked like half the planet did about Brienne and about Jamie and how Brienne saved Jamie in the trial by vouching for his honor and how Jamie honored her with the thing she wanted most in life, though she never dared admit it. And if you think we saved this topic because you knew we'd have Joanna on today, you are correct. <laughs> because we talked about some of those individual moments, and even though they were very much tied into their own moments, we didn't really talk about Jamie and Brienne as a as a whole, as a, like a not a couple because they're not exactly a couple. But Joanna, please start us off with some Jamie and Brienne love, both from um, your end and from their end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think something that I have been talking about in terms of why this feels so satisfying. Um, is because the Jamie and Brienne stuff is sourced from the beginning of the show when they just had so much more time to establish these connections between characters. Um, I was looking at the air date of the first time Jamie and Brienne met on screen. It's May 2012, so that's wow. you know yeah. seven years in the making that, hmm. that this has been going on. Wow. And you know they just they had like a season and a half, two seasons almost to just like be on the road together to form this connection. And so the story drove them apart. And we can talk about that a little bit since you guys are a book show. We can talk about how taking Lady Stoneheart out of the show really just sort of blew the, the Brian and Jamie story up a bit. And then I, I think they sort of spun their wheels for a while until they could bring them back together here. And it's enormously satisfying to have them back together finally. I think Nicola Custer-Waldo and Gwendolyn Christie do some of their best work together. It's why they're like always paired in interviews. If you ever see a video interview, the two of them are together, even on the seasons where they like don't have any scenes together because <laughs> their chemistry is just incredible. And to so, be fair, I think Gwendolyn Christie just has an amazing chemistry with everyone. <laughs> yeah, or she interviews. not, yeah. That is, <laughs> that is a fact. 
That's a fact. <laughs> but yeah, so so I think those reasons that that like it's an earned historical payoff, and we'll talk about this more later, I assume. But like Theon and Sansa feel similar, where it's just like you don't have to do that much heavy lifting in this episode to get there because they already did the work, you know, for years on the show. Good point, Lady Gwen. Let's get your thoughts on this. Well, <laughs> I have so many. It was hard to. Um... You know, it's hard to corral them all into... <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> ...to a cohesive narrative here. But, um, you know, you mentioned um, Brienne's... Um, the thing she wants most in life. And I was particularly struck by that moment when she denied her dream. She said, I, oh, I don't want to be at night. Um, that's what started it for me, um, to be honest. Um in this scene, if we're talking about this scene in particular. Um, and of course, at the risk of stating the obvious, uh, any, might, any knight can make a knight coming from the hedge knight, which is, you know, such a deep dive into the book material. And we're talking about writing a love letter to fans. I mean, geez, taking, taking so much of this um, Dunkin' Egg stuff into this episode. Uh, was truly amazing and it was the tip-off I think to what was about to happen in this scene yeah <laughs> well said yeah yeah mm -hmm. so and you pointed out here as some others have that uh, we have the reuniting of ice the two mm -hmm. halves of it do you guys think that anything is going to happen with that or is it just kind of a nice little tidbit to notice I, th I thought it was a nice callback to that defending Ned Stark's daughter with Ned Stark's own steel. Mm. Um, and, and now here they both are actually doing that, defending both of his daughters and his <laughs> his house, his castle. Arguably, Arya's yeah. defending them. <laughs> what about yeah, She wouldn't like to hear it put that way. But. Um, I, yeah. I've, I've referred to it over the years as like the Westerosi version of the, like, the best friend necklace. Like they have two hats. <laughs> like best friend necklace that they carry around finally. um <laughs> finally together um but also this idea that uh oh the other thing that i really want there's no time for it uh because the battle is upon us but i really wanted jamie to rebrand his sword because i think it's um awful that his sword is called Will widow's whale <laughs> like don't you think he needs a new name for his sword yeah that's, that's not appropriate anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's Maybe not the battle will give it a new name yeah yes yeah. <laughs> Barely survived. That'll be its new name. <laughs> <laughs> Just made it. Just. Yeah. Phew. Your sword is called Phew. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we. It's. It's also important to note that you know, just in this moment for Brienne, how important it is that in, in, it. It says a lot about who knighted you. Now, of course, Jamie is a controversial figure in Westeros. Some people think of him as. A false knight, someone who betrayed his vows. But Brienne is not one of those people. She thinks he is honorable and was very honored to receive her knighthood from someone that was, you know, well, just who he is. And that's pretty important. And uh, Shea, you have, uh, you, you look up some interesting facts about yeah, the scene as I mean, well. Yeah, I always like reading interviews in general about the show, and I thought it was interesting that Cogman pointed out that the title, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, definitely was meant to reference Jamie as well as Brienne, because Jamie finally is this knight that he has appeared to be his whole life, and now he really is finally living up to those, those standards, you know, that sense of honor. Yeah. Um, so I liked that. I didn't really catch that, I suppose. 
And Lady Gwen, you have a uh, you pulled a some some a quote here from the books that is super appropriate. Yeah, I was when um, when Jamie came to Brienne and asked if he could serve under her. I was reminded very strongly of the opinion that she thinks of him in A Feast for Crows, where it's she's remembering her fight with with him from uh, earlier on on their way to King's Landing. And she thinks it had been all she could do to keep his blade at bay. He was weak from imprisonment, chained at the wrists. No knight in the Seven Kingdoms could have stood against him at his full strength with no chains to hamper him. Jamie had done many wicked things, but the man could fight. And I just remembered back to that. And I watched her face when he came mm. to her and said, I, I want to serve under you. And I could just think of her thinking how what a this man could fight mm -hmm. even without one of his hands. So she she knew what a valuable thing that this was, even though mm -hmm. he is maimed and yeah, you know, other people don't seem to value him as much as they might or should. Yeah, Coster Waldau said um, about that as well. He was talking about when he brings that up to her. He said to Huffington Post that you know the truth was that he wants to be close to you for many reasons, but first and foremost, you're the best. You know, when it comes to fighting them, he, he wants to be close to the best when they face death. Makes sense. Yeah, but also, you know, to Brienne, like many reasons. There's uh, some strategy in that decision, yeah. <laughs> A little hidden. Yeah. <laughs> He's no fool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I came to fight for the living, but I would rather fight with the best uh, swordsman next to me. <laughs> if I could have my druthers. If you could pick one... Uh, person at Winterfell right now to stand behind while they fought. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think I might pick Arya, but maybe Bran because she's taller. Yeah, you know, one of those two is who I would stand behind if the dead were coming. That was uh, that's a line from the books, right? Bronze says, "Always follow a big man into battle because <laughs> you know he makes yeah. a big target." He's talking <laughs> right. about the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'd choose Bran. I'm six inches taller than Arya, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Arya is great to have with you, but maybe not. In, you can't be behind, directly behind her, maybe. <laughs> and with Bran uh, mixed into all this, there was, you know, there's a lot of poignancy for Jamie as well. Such a huge part of this episode, which we'll get into in more detail a bit later, is people reliving their own lives or thinking about what they used to be who they used to be and all that and it's the whole concept of ghosts which we have dancing with ghosts it's, it's, it's a wonderful theme for this episode but just for this scene bran is jamie's touchstone in a lot of ways in fact he says i'm not the man i used to be directly to bran uh you know right after the trial and um he's aware that Brienne is a big part of the catalyst for his change. She was there for it, you know, and was, well, she, yeah, she was there for all that, him getting his hand hacked off and the aftermath and everything that came until they were separated. Um, so, uh, Lady Gwyn, um, what do you think about the, the effects of Bran here as well? I got a real strong sense of catharsis, really, uh, where where they came together, and you know, Bran did indeed acknowledge that all this stuff had happened for a reason. That they had to go through these things in order to get to the place they're at now. Um, I think that through the course of those their scenes together, we see an entirely new meaning for the things we do for love, or the things I do for love. 
it's a phrase that really, to me, resonated throughout the whole episode. Jamie's preparing to serve under Brienne, and on on some level, he's doing that out of his out of his love for her. And their love is based on admiration, mutual respect, honor, what have you. You know, it's a it's a very specific type of love, but that's what it is. I mean, he, he's trusting to her, um, like we were just saying, to you know, to stand next to her as he faces his terrible enemy. And, you know, it used to mean kind of a cutthroat family loyalty, but now it means giving up your life to save the living. It's really the whole inversion of the things we do for love, isn't it? And um, it really, I think, Brand forgiving Jamie, or at least releasing him from his sense of, of guilt over what's happened in the past, um, is a really nice setup to the Brand knighting Brand in yeah. that scene. Something that struck me was that how Jamie really, truly doesn't care about the opinions of the sheep anymore, while before he merely, as his father pointed out, <laughs> wanted people to think he didn't care what others, you know, because bef now he's going to be honorable, he's going to fight for the living, doesn't matter what other people say. Before it was he didn't care how they were insulting him and shaming him, but now it's, it's, a, it's a different sort of facet. What do you think about that, Joanna? What do you think about both the brand stuff and, and Jamie's just sort of his changed attitude? Uh, well, for, I have a quick, quick question first. Is it kosher to talk about um, George R. R. Martin's like original outline yeah, at yes. the beginning of it? Okay. Yeah, yes. that's fine. Um, the only thing you don't want to talk about here are the next time on okay, for the, at the end cool. of the episode. That's it. Uh, yeah. We shall not mention it. Um, yeah, no. So I was watching some interview with Nicola Custer-Wildo where he was talking about how Jamie is such a juicy character because to start with the character who starts with pushing a kid out of a tower and then to try to build something up from there, it, like as an actor, <laughs> sympathy and empathy up from there and like stab Jory in, in the eye and like all the stuff that he does in season one, like to build a character up from there is like a, a really fun a challenge for an actor, I can imagine. Um, and we know that like in George's original outline, like Jamie was gonna be kind of the villain of the piece. And so I don't know if George originally started with this intention of, you know, having such a transformation, but it is, it, it then feels more in keeping with what George is interested in, which is, you know, morally murky things or uh, messy redemptive arcs and all this sort of stuff. And Jamie, uh, you know, Jamie's my favorite character on Game of Thrones and in the books and all that, just because it's so complicated and so fun to root for him and okay to be disappointed in him when he falls short of the mark and to keep wanting to root for him. And that's just like a really, a really satisfying feeling. And so, uh, yeah, the, the brand stuff is all part of that because it's all tied to that origin and to be able to bring that back um, is, is really important to the end of this episode when you see him sort of at the height of his healing process away from Cersei becoming the man that Brienne knows he can be, all of that sort of stuff. is really enormously satisfying. Yes, well said. Um, so I'm going to put everybody on the spot here, and we're going to get a prediction. Also, y'all in the chat, feel free to do the same way in here. Does this happen in the books? This, regardless of the circumstances, could be probably will be different, might not be, but will Jamie Knight Brienne in the books? Uh, Lady Gwen, we'll, we'll let you go first. <laughs> um, you know, I think very possibly... I think that what we saw at the very beginning, that, that sort of trial, I figured was probably kind of their version of what we might see at the beginning of the Winds of Winter. 
with the lady Stoneheart, mm-hmm. at least at least in part. Um, and following something like that, yeah, I could definitely see see this happening. And I want to shout out because I I had this on my mind. I saw someone mentioned it in the chat um, that you have in addition to all of the other stuff, you know, their relationship and stuff like that. You have the Dunk, the Dunk and Rohan Weber connection. So I, I think that they continue to have something very close. Yeah. To books, you know, so yes. I, I think people know the the dunk connection to Brienne. It's it's been somewhat explained, uh, but the Rohan Weber one. Maybe we should pause for a second uh, to back that up a little bit. Rohan Weber, of course, was a main character in the Sworn Sword, and Dunk had uh, maybe some kind of relationship with her. Uh, and we find out later that she, after she marries. Uh, Lord Osgrey or Sir Osgrey, whatever, uh, he dies and then she eventually remarries to the Lannisters and thus she is Tywin's grandmother. Yeah. Grandmother. Yeah. Grandma. So, so Jamie's great grandmother. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it all comes full circle. Oh, God, there's so much, like, it's almost incestuous. Oh! <laughs> Maybe not almost. Uh, <laughs> so, Joanna, let's take, get your take. Do you think Jamie knights Brienne in the books? Uh, certainly could happen. Um, I don't know. I think it, it feels like more of a cinematic moment to me than it does something on the page, uh, mm. if that makes sense. So I'm actually not sure that this is something George would write. It's not like he, he doesn't agree with the sentiment, but this exact, not this exact thing, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure it would happen. No. What do you think, Ashaya? Um, I think it's really interesting because in the interviews they've talked about how you know they they specifically they wanted this moment to happen. Obviously, they they Cogman they, like he got input. They didn't want it to be some cinematic moment on a hillside, like a dramatic. Yeah, thing, so right? how to get like so like they they really wanted to get it in there. So it does make me wonder what information they got from him if he mm. says, oh, and and eventually Jamie knights Brienne, or you know what they would have gotten. Mm. Um, as it stands right now, it's a little hard for me to imagine it going that way but there's a million things like that that i can say that about yeah i'm in a song of ice and fire like i'm like how is he how are they gonna get from point a to point e and they do it yeah yeah i agree it's true sometimes you hard have a hard time seeing how one plot point is gonna get to another but then you just sit back and go wait this is george r R. martin he'll find a way (laughs) (laughs) uh so i'll i'll weigh in i think i'm gonna lean yes and i think one of the main reasons for me is just the aspect of uh, given the parallel to Dunk, his the question of his knighthood is such a part of the store, uh, the the mystery knight and the sworn sword and the hedge knight. So, and we feel like it's going to get resolved eventually mm-hmm. when he because he joins the Kingsguard. So probably he that solved one way or the other. So I kind of feel like that'll happen for Brienne too. But I recognize that's uh, not the most solid reason for a prediction. But it's it's you know it's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a gut feeling. It's yeah. Okay, any more thoughts on Jamie, Brienne? We'll be coming back to uh, Jenny's song uh, in the second half of the episode, but we'll be sticking with some of the other character uh, moments first. And for anyone who's been sending super chats, if you haven't noticed, we are doing a new format where we have a few different clusters of them. So we will get to it. Yeah, we're going to do a bunch of questions at once rather than spacing them out. That keeps us more on topic. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, Sandor Brienne. Let's talk about that next. Even though they haven't interacted, I think there's some interesting potential, and it's really worth dis- a discussion. And it's worth talking about Sandor as well himself. Yeah, that's true. There were perhaps fair complaints about a lack of Sandor Sansa interaction. Frankly, I think it's not too late for that, especially because I'm of the mind that Sandor is going to survive because of Clegane Bull is not unlikely. And you're Sansa, always holding out hope. <laughs> Forever. You're holding on for the game ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Sansa has to die somehow. Yeah, and Sansa, I don't feel like is in all that likely. Can I just ask a real real quick question? Yeah. What about if the mountain gets turned into a white? Like, what's the interaction there? That's that's just a thing I never considered. I see. (laughs) I have thought about this too too much because I've been wondering about the mountain and him being an undead being for a long time. But then it occurs to me if if the Night King can just like control the mountain, then can he control Beric and John? Yes. You know, I I mean, maybe. But they're fire whites. Yeah, yes. that's what I was going to get to but next. See, like, the mountain how does isn't work? really either. He's a weird, like, yeah. science white. He's the kyborg. Yeah, yeah, science white. Yeah. Science white. I was about to say science white. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's only, up in the air. Only kyburn only gets to boss the science whites. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start with the but I had to ask. Yeah, so so I feel like they could still have a Sansa Sandor moment later. because That, that would explain why they're saving it. Like, uh, we have too many character moments fitted now, and since we know Sansa, Sandor is going to still be alive. We can we can do this later. That could be, you know. I, I, I still just don't think there is as much significance between Sansa and Sandor no, in the show. They don't have to have a big moment. They don't yeah, have to have they anything. They don't have to. It, it, Whereas, like, I, I feel like the Sandor Arya connection in the show was a lot. It was uh, more important. More important. Yeah, definitely. And, and more important to perhaps resolve sooner. But I want to compare this to what just happened with Brienne and think about all the potential it has. This is a guy that... Uh, hates knighthood and thinks that people who you know it's, it's it's an unworthy you know his brother was unworthy of it and just the the perfect opposite of what knighthood should be and so that just made him sour on the whole thing but brienne is the finally a good example of knighthood i would think that maybe he that would for him that would be meaningful to say hey you know what finally that's someone that's worthy of being a knight you know and i, I don't know that it would be such a big deal that he would himself take knighthood but if he did it would be from her so uh lady Gwen, what do you think about that whole idea do you think there's any uh brianne sandor potential and mm-hmm. certainly feel free to weigh in on sandor sansa if you like as well yeah well i think as far as brianne and and sandor i think that there's um just just a huge correlation between the two you know that the two they're, they're both part of george's commentary on on knighthood um and i put Jamie into that, um, you know, into that category as well, and Barristan. But um, they, they're they both, they're the two characters that say, I'm no sir, you know, they're just, they're kind of like anti-knights. Um, I do think that um, if we can see Brienne achieve something like this, he would at least respect it um, in the books, in, in the show, kind of all, you know, across the board. Um, I do not think that he would accept it for himself necessarily. Uh, although you, you never know what they might, how they might frame it in the show. Um, and as far as Sander and Sansa, I think there's still definitely time in the show because I do think there's unfinished business on both characters' parts 
with each state with each other although like you said it's not as big of a deal in the show as it, as it is in the books but there's yeah. still you know they've had minor reunions where this would be a little bit even more major than some of the ones they've shown and um so i am with you that he has huge unfinished business with his brother and that that is going to come to pass literally um, things huge. have happened in the show that pretty much seem to me to, to indicate that we're heading that way right on um yeah so i, I think sans is going to survive so uh, i see them having some kind of connection at least cool well joanna what do you think about uh brienne and sandor and santa and all this business I mean, I don't think that they, uh, I, I lo- it's a lovely idea. I don't think that they would do like another knighting ceremony this season because it feels like they did it. It's yeah. beautiful to do it again. We're yeah. sort of cheap in it. But that being said, like, um, I hope that they interact in the fight. And something that I've, um, this is some weird calculus because I don't know necessarily who's going to survive the Battle of Winterfell and stuff like that, but some thing that I do in terms of like show storytelling is like, okay, if they've had big emotional moments already, maybe we're going to say goodbye to them next week. And then then if they haven't, if we haven't heard them utter more than two lines, like say Varys, then maybe (laughs) we've got more time with them. You know, they're saving those people Hmm. for after the battle because like maybe, you know, because like you can't send Varys out with like one line of dialogue. I want Varys to win, but I still also wonder if he will get those emotional moments in the crypts, you know, during the battle next episode. But based on Melisandre's words, I, I think he, he's safe um, for a little bit. For a little bit. For yeah. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, you know, be really worried about your faves that have had some big meaty stuff in these first two episodes <laughs> and be feel more secure in the folks that you feel like maybe should have more to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, like, Lord Commander Ed Tullert, I'd be <laughs> prepared to say goodbye to, you know, something yeah. like that. Versus, yeah, I think the Hound has much more to do narratively. I think that's a good way to think about it, like a good process for mm-hmm. figuring things out. Um, I definitely, uh, I think that would, gonna, is going to work for most of the time. Um, Not all and, the time. Yeah. And Shay, you noticed that uh, yeah. the, the way Brian Cogman refers to Sandor. Yeah, in these interviews, I don't know, like... You think of that, you know, the iconic Jamie, you know, his name is Jamie, not the Kingslayer. And in all these interviews, Cogman, the writer, he, he calls Sandor Clegane the Hound. And I don't know, don't love it. <laughs> I, I think it's a, a indicative of, of, of maybe, you know, where like their head is at with Sandor that he, they hmm. haven't really shown his change. I don't know okay. if that's just a mistake or what, but I I don't a, like it when I see it. Sandor called the Hound at this point, just like I wouldn't want to see Jamie called yeah. Kingslayer. Yeah, you're right. He's not the Hound anymore. You're no. right. That is I mean, not It was shown is, yeah. in the opening episode when he, and there was Winterfell without his Hound Helm on as compared to in season one, episode one. When, yeah, so, it's the first thing you see. So like, I feel like they like, are yeah. wanting to hit that point, um, but I don't know. That's a good point. And I did like this interaction. Like, I was actually kind of salty about the initial meeting with Arya in episode one, where mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you're still a cold little bitch or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. And I, I actually told Brian Cogman that. I was like, I didn't like it. And he's like, you'll like episode two better. Mm-hmm. And I, did, I liked it better. I was like, he's like, there's more Arya and Hound stuff, and then it'll be better. And it was better. Um, but I still feel like there, we want more for... Mm. Sandor. I'm, I'm just going to call it Sandor now. I'm not going to make a sham ad. Sandor forever. <laughs> oh, 
The hound is dead. Sandor is at rest. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, this up, in this that scene, I just wanted. I felt like it was better, but they missed when Arya said, "I've changed," and maybe they delivered it sort of, you know, silently. He's a silent man. Maybe, you know, his facial expression to me said, "I've changed too," but. I wish he had said it out loud. That was my <laughs> my biggest disappointment, honestly, in in the episode was that he did not say, "Well, I've changed too." I guess he said, "I work, I I worked for you know, I fought for you," which is kind of like for you. that's kind of like which saying I, like. I changed because before yeah. he wouldn't have done that. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's he's also you know not exactly. Uh, the most talkative guy. <laughs> no, he's not a Renaissance man. I mean, he's not really in touch with his inner self, probably. No, so he's not. It's hard for him. But <laughs> I think it's funny that like the way he talked to to Barrick is like he's warming up to you. You know, he only t- he talked about throwing you off a wall and telling you to shut up. That's that's it's a compliment coming from him. <laughs> he was cute, and then they shared some wine. It was adorable. If you, if Sandra lets you drink with him, that's your end. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> miserable old shits. <laughs> Yeah, she was right. That was funny. Um, okay, so so we've talked about Sandor, and I think we agree it's not that likely he gets knighted. Uh, but what about Podrick? There, there's a chance there, right? A chance Podrick gets knighted? I, I'm going to say the same thing I said to you before, and I feel even more strongly now that I think more about Joanna's point about time and whether they really how much emotional resonance they get out of knighting someone again which is Podrick Payne is going to have no trouble being knighted if he survives like he's a man and (laughs) of a a house like anyone will knight him he fought in this battle no worries for Podrick (laughs) Um, so I don't think it's likely I'll let them weigh in but (laughs) also I put I put Pod right at the top of my Deadpool with Ed because I mean you get a you get a lovely emotional song and I'm worried about you. Yeah. 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 Whereas I just want I want Pod to survive and like become a songwriter (laughs) and just like write the song of Ice and Fire for everyone. He can write the songs. He'll write these songs. I write the songs that make the young girls cry. (laughs) 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 Or return your money at the brothel. I write the songs at the Someone in your chat, Pablo, um, mentioned like uh, just now, like uh, perhaps Barrick will bring bring Sandor back uh, to. And I think we're good. I just wanted to. I think we caught that really early. <laughs> okay, it's back. We should be okay. back and live. Everyone should tell. <laughs> yeah, he says I was just yeah. getting a shout out. Pablo, <laughs> says, Pablo right. was just getting. So we we clearly know that you were at Pablo's point about Barrick. <laughs> yeah, so let's that's roll that. all that we missed. Yes, it was a good Damn, point. Really. So please repeat, oh. restate that, okay. please. Oh, yeah, happily. Okay, so yeah, Pablo was just saying that perhaps uh, Barrick might resurrect the Hound, and I was just saying that this is something that uh, someone brought up to me recently. It was like, will Barrick sacrifice himself to resurrect someone uh, the way that he does in the books? And uh, on the one hand, I don't know that it's likely because the show has never talked about that as a possibility, and so I think that show watchers only would be disoriented if all of a sudden, like, Barrick sacrificed himself to bring someone back, and they're like, wait, are those in the rules? I didn't know that he could do that. I thought he could just <laughs> light his sword on fire by thinking about it. Um, and so uh, so I don't know that that will actually happen, but I, it was just, like, a fun lingering book thing that I was like, oh, yeah, 
It could happen, maybe. I did wonder that, because, I mean, when Sandor brings up the whole, why, why did he bring you back 19 times, it made me think, I'm like, well, what has Beric done? What has he been essential to? Maybe they couldn't have done that beyond the wall excursion without him. Maybe he's he's served his duty so far, or maybe there's something else coming up that he's going to do that his sacrifice will be particularly important for. So I was thinking about that. Um, that's a good I think, point. And if you rewatch Seven... End of six and seven, he says so much to the hound about like there's a reason we're still here. Yeah. We have unfinished business. And so I would not at all be surprised if the two of them do something in the battle next week or something that will fulfill that sort of we have specific unfinished business, mm-hmm. just the two of us or you know, something like that. It would be kind of a neat full circle kind of thing that wouldn't be possible in the books because obviously Barrack is long gone in the books, but yeah. if Barrack resurrects Sandor, that would be a neat footnote to Sandor killing Beric and being raised by Thoros. It'd be extra. It's just really funny to me in general, just because of the idea of both Gregor and Sandor being raised from the dead. It's just extra funny, but uh, I still don't know how likely I think it is, but... uh, Well, it would also be maybe, uh, you know, maybe a little sop to book readers, since we didn't get... um, Since we didn't get Lady Stoneheart, you know? Yeah. Mm. What would... What is I, I like what you were saying before? What what is Beric's purpose anyway? Right. Is has he done anything that someone else couldn't have done? Um, and I think no, unless he brings, unless he gives that final. Did you see that uh, the interview that he gave to Kim Renfro, Business Insider, where he was uh, <laughs> Kim asked the best red carpet questions and she was basically like, "Okay, so how does the sword fire magic work now?" So it used to be like. <laughs> A blood right and a whole thing. And he's like, oh, you, oh, you just say these two words in like Valerian or something like that. She's like, no. okay, okay, cool. Nice. I guess. <laughs> sure. So we should be able to do this at home, right? Right. <laughs> tell, tell your friends. Everyone can light a fire sword. Apparently. <laughs> Regarding the nighting, before we move on, uh, if we're thinking of our Brienne Sir Duncan parallels, well, Duncan was supposedly not really he lies he says sir Alan knighted me before he died so that's one reason to think maybe you know brianne could knight somebody on her deathbed but i don't i don't i don't think it's super likely but we're throwing yeah, out do you there. have a deathbed for brianne <laughs> looks like that term in yeah particular. you have de- you can have deathbeds while she's dying slowly uh <laughs> no yeah it doesn't seem like those kind of uh that, that would work out too well but it's possible all right let's tackle our first set of questions here um strange tv says keep up the great work guys see you at ice and fire con yes we will we'll be there tomorrow tomorrow yeah i know yeah. we leave <laughs> like noon tomorrow and we get to no. watch this episode with lady gwyn and a whole bunch of people amazing yeah. yay from nathan morton will brienne knight pod well, well we, we covered that we covered that already. that's the great thing about bundling these super chats yeah <laughs> and uh princess Scania says it's also a descendant of rohan weber knighting a descendant of dunk yep that's very true good catch we did mention that george r martin mentioned in an interview that jamie could beat aragorn in a fight do you think the show is underplaying jamie's abilities well we didn't get a lot of jamie's fighting before he lost his hand um he mm. certainly looked good as a warrior but it wasn't uh, put to the test a whole lot, but... Uh, I thought it was really funny in the show when they brought up, you know, they're like, you know, lost uh, the Siege of Pike, and, it, well, I mean, lost the Whispering Wood, yeah. uh, and just, like, his his, his exploits loser. actually weren't <laughs> very, very nice compared to some of the other ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Karen Sita says, smash that like button. 
Yes, please smash that like button. Kraken Tacos says, what do you think about the Night King pulling a Whispering Woods deception? The dead march on Winterfell while the Night King heads for the King Landing or the God's Eye. Oh boy, have I been talking about this a lot on Twitter the last 24 <laughs> hours. Oh man, I've, I've missed out on, I almost didn't fully prepare for this episode. I was too distracted by thinking about that topic and tweeting about it and posting it on Facebook. So yeah, I'm with you there. It fits so many things. I'm going to try to contain myself and not talk about it too much right now because it's a huge topic that I'm trying to work on i can record you with practice with the new gimbal where ice and fire con i'll just like get like a one-on-one of you just going off <laughs> i'm gonna talk to emmett yeah. there too and talk yeah. to talk to emmett about Last night, i'm like stuff. i'm like i'm trying to get ready for the for all my panels and like this recording is easy just like <laughs> laying it on me i'm like i can't right now i can't with this theory <laughs> <laughs> but it makes so much sense just to just to parallel not only does it have rob's whispering woods deception but it's also exactly what's described in the dance of the dragons when aemon one eye who happens to have a sapphire eye and flies around on a dragon by himself, splits from the army with Kristen Cole while Kristen Cole marches south through the Riverlands and ends up marching through a, a, an array of corpses, which, hey, that's a, that's a clue. And then Aemon, meanwhile, just attacks the Riverlands wherever he can. No one can find him. No one can stop him. Meanwhile, while this one dragon is flying around, rampaging wherever he wants to go, two other dragon riders happen to be chasing him, Damon and Nettles, and, well... Doesn't that sound like John and Danny uh, in this scenario? So, yeah. So, I have a question about this theory. Yeah. In, in this theory, do you feel like the Night King goes and decimates King's Landing while the Battle of Winterfell is happening? Like, what, how much damage does he do? Because narratively, from the point of, from a show point, I agree with you about all the book stuff, but from a show point of view, if you have a six-episode season uh, and, you know, the Night King splits off and you know, let's say decimates King's Landing, that's the King's Landing plot done? Well, like somewhat off screen? Like how does how does that work narrative? Well, okay, so first of all, let me connect some other dots to make it give it a little more uh, weight, which is one, we have Danny's vision of King's Landing being yes. devastated. So that fits really well with this. Second Absolutely. of all, Second of all, we have Bran's vision of a dragon shadow over King's Landing, which people thought maybe is in the past, maybe in the future, we don't know. But obviously, there's a, if we're considering it as a possibility of a vision of the future, it fits super well here. Um, I don't know exactly how Night King would ravage King's Landing, but the idea, a couple of things that make so much sense. Why would he want to put, we know Bran said he wasn't going to put himself at risk. Why would he just attack this spot that's the most prepared to face him when literally everywhere else in Westeros is completely unprepared to face him. I will say, by the way, in terms of like wiping out human memory, yeah. go to the Citadel, dude. We've seen it in the show, but whatever. I don't expect that to happen, but like, well, that's, it is yeah. part of my thought there. It's like, if that is one of his goals, then... Mm -hmm. And that fits really well with the theory because Euron is the, is the role of Night King in the books because Night King is this eldritch figure riding a dragon doing magical stuff and, and the show Euron isn't doing any of that but book Euron is doing all the same things night king is doing or at least has been foreshadowed to do so the idea of he rides a dragon the idea that he takes down the wall the idea that he takes out old town which is yes. human memories yes. is all already set up quite well it's it's just right there like Euron's at old town um getting you know prop, quite possibly getting ready to destroy it so that would be the same kind of concept mm -hmm. of him destroying human memory and then is, yeah this is ahead. the first time that i've heard this theory that i've actually liked parts of it <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the idea that the Night King attacks uh, King's Landing because I feel like he would just knock King's Landing out 
And then where does our story go? Where does our like narrative with Cersei go and all of that sort of thing? Well, presum- but if the, night, if the Night King is out there knocking out other places on the map that we're aware of, like yeah. the Citadel or, you know, other, other places in Westeros, um, you know, if we see Edmure Tully being like, oh no! And then, like, <laughs> That's his like, one moment. Yeah, yeah, like, that works for me, but like, I don't... So like him going off and doing something else does make sense. Obviously, I think King's Landing is going to be under threat of dragon or dragon fire at some point this season. Just pacing wise, it feels like it doesn't make sense for me here. It makes sense that that's like a final thing, but yeah. to do damage elsewhere on the map, that makes some sense to me. That's interesting. Yeah, right. And then so if you take all this, uh, like basically, uh, you're right. This is it fits a lot better for the books, but I think that some of these elements will make the show and they fit so well. Part of this is trying to see what are they doing in the show that can be translated to the books that could tell us something maybe yeah yeah exactly and uh just going back to the dance of the dragons we have this moment where um aemond is uh you know he has his final showdown with daemon and they've you know daemon jumps off his dragon and stabs aemon through the eye well just imagine john doing that to euron and and nettles is the fire witch afterwards well that you can see how that might be a parallel to danny and you also have uh, Danny and Nettles, or Nettles and John, or Nettles and Damon, rather, kind of having to split apart. Um, it would be for different reasons in, in, in the books. But another thing that lines up super well is the, uh, the notion of um, Euron and Cersei. Because Euron and Cersei in the show is throwing some people for a loop like, that's not going to happen in the books. I've been suspicious that it would for a long time, ever since The Forsaken. And this just makes me more certain because uh, we have Cersei just being pregnant right now, which lines up exactly with Aemond One-Eye having getting Alice Rivers pregnant. And then Alice Rivers being this witch queen character, mm-hmm. which if we're thinking Cersei is a, could be Stoneheart in the show somehow... Uh, which lines up really well also because, you know, Cersei is this figure who's wait, wait, lost all her kids. Cersei is Stoneheart in the show. Oh, oh, okay. oh yeah. Uh, when Cersei okay, could be yes. Stoneheart in the show. So that was that, that's, a, that's a thing that could happen if Cersei is, is killed by Night King or becomes Night Queen. It fits super well because of her arc. Like her character arc is this woman who grew up knowing her kids were going to die. So she's traumatized by that. Then her kids did die. And then her family, you know, betrays her, quote unquote. And so if night, here comes Night King with this offer. Hey. Guess what I have? I have an unlimited supply of immortal babies, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they you won't lost ever me turn on you. Somewhere along the way, there for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, like I gotta say, well, well that's that's the that's where it gets to be more book. Gonna, yeah, it's more book. We gotta, you know. Here's here's another show based reason or interview based reason why I think the Night King has to show up at Winterfell, and it's because uh, Vladimir Furtick, who plays the Night King, um, has said that. He's going to have a moment with Jon Snow that's like the end of Hard Home, but times a million or something like that. Uh-huh. He didn't. He didn't say it's at the Battle of Winterfell, but like it kind of. So for me, I've been expecting that the Battle of Winterfell ends, or at some point, in the Battle of Winterfell, we see all of our faves die, and then we saw all of our faves resurrected as whites. As oh, like yeah. this, this double emotional punch and then see our surviving faves have to kill our undead faves again. Mm-hmm. And all like, like I don't think the show as it exists right now in terms of like what it enjoys in terms of surprise, gut punches, spectacle, blah, blah, can resist the idea of the fallen faves at Winterfell. Let's say it's like Ed and Pod and Jorah or something like that 
us having to watch them get resurrected and then us having to watch the people that care about them have to then kill them again. Mm, like, don't yeah. you think that that's something that the show can't resist? So oh, that's no, I, like, that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so, going like, to happen. That's why I think the Night King has to be, maybe not initially, like, you know, because initially we just see that line of, of White Walkers, right? And so, like, I, maybe not initially, but I think he's got to show up to do this, like, really nasty, dirty trick uh to john snow and make john and you know like like a zombie ghost or like whatever it is you know, whatever your worst, <laughs> yeah. worst nightmare is that's yeah. what the show wants to do to you so. yep <laughs> yeah i agree and, and you make good points about like maybe they don't have time for this or the narrative but we've been surprised by that before i've 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 backed off on they don't have time for that type theories because they've they find ways to do really short versions of things that's true that's and, true uh, I don't know. That's just that that, that that counter argument has failed me yeah. enough times that but I don't I'm use saying it as much some anymore. Some things are shortened that you thought would be longer, and the thing you thought might be shorter is longer. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is true. So, we will find out very shortly, though. It, Only a few weeks. Yeah. And the other, the other, other thing is this just cleans up nicely is that how is, you know, how are these things going to happen in the books? Like, there's no Night King in the book. So, the idea that Euron does a lot of these things just. Fits so perfectly because, well, who else is going to do them? Who else is going to ride a dragon? Is there going to be an undead dragon in the books? Well, if so, then that's that's different. Then, you know, Euron doesn't have to ride an undead dragon. But anyway, that's a whole lot of business yeah. to uh, Our to longest work out. super chat answer ever. Yeah, that's, a, that's quite a long one. Sorry, Aziz, Aziz started that by being like, I'll be brief. And I was like, I have a lot of follow-up questions. <laughs> yeah, it's not all my fault. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so super chat from Janelle Peoples. He says, I love indie geeks theory on the crypts slash horn of winter. I will be so disappointed if they have Night King walk in and wake the Stark dead to fight for him. You'd think the Stark buried the dead with a purpose, knowing the White Walkers or the others. I made the same point in our Crypts of Winterfell video. It's like, this isn't the one people that should know to burn their dead. Everyone else in Westeros, no one else has crypts. The river, uh, the Tullys throw them in a river. <laughs> you know, everybody has, the Targaryens burn them. It's like, this is the one house that should know not to store their dead. Uh, yeah. But so yeah, what do you guys think about the crypts thing? I'm I'm iffy. I don't think the, the, the idea of the dead kind of rising is a little iffy for a lot of reasons. But it is something's got to happen there. Uh, see, one mm -hmm. of the things I I I feel like we've long felt like something has to happen there, and we have seen like bone skeleton whites, but they also went over very poorly. Mm. They also went over very poorly. You mean yeah. the ones that stab stab Jojen? Yes, those ones. <laughs> like, and I, I feel like HBO yeah. knows that the that the people didn't like the skeleton whites, so you I don't know that they want to repeat that. You need mm. meat to you. You need meat on the bones. Yeah, the way, right. That's yeah. why my favorite. Okay, so like I have a, I have a lot of crypt resurrection theories. <laughs> <All right. laughs> one is that the number one thing that I hate idea that I hate is a resurrected Ned Stark. Oh, yeah. A, he has no head. B, they boiled his bones. So, yeah, like, no if it's just, like, a pile of bone, headless bones yeah, chasing no. people, like, that has no emotional impact. And no. there's, heart, there's, like, no one down there that's meaty enough for it to matter, except maybe Rickon, because they took him down there, like, at the end of Battle of Bastards. Like, yeah. they just said, lay him in the crypt. So, like, maybe Rickon still has some, like, flesh on them bones. Uh, there's no reason Littlefinger should be down there, and they haven't even talked about him this season, so I'm pretty sure they burnt him. So, like, I just don't think that there's... Yeah, it might be uh, disturbing and upsetting to see the Crypts of Winterfell, which is, like named a safe place over and over and over again uh in this last episode be a house of horrors for people once again it's kind of a, the kind of 
cheapest trick that I'm not sure the show can avoid, but I don't know that it'll be emotionally satisfying to see those Starks because they're all going to be decomposed. We know hardly any of them, you know, the zombie Catelyn, it's not. No, I feel like Rickon's the the best bet for that. I don't know how incredibly imposing he is. Just one Um, kid, one child. Tila will take him out. (laughs) It would be terrifying for Arya. And so if you think about that scene of Arya looking terrifying, remember that she was never reunited with him, so... You know, for her to suddenly see him in that way, that would be... Yeah, but she won't recognize him. She's like, who are you? You're four feet right. taller than my brother? I don't really know who you are. Brother was only I, I was, like, kind of riding the Rickon theory until this last episode when they did, they haven't mentioned him at all. Nobody has mentioned Rickon. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like the show would have reminded... I mean, they took time to mention Gren and Pip, but not Rickon. Right. So no I one just, ever says, whatever happened to Rickon? Yeah, so I just, I don't, I don't think so. If there's like a, if, if then the, if in the like previously on, Rickon's just in the previously on, I'd be like, oh. Oh, well. okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when they put Benjamin in the previous season. Yeah, yeah it was like, he hadn't, he hadn't appeared in seasons and it was suddenly previously on. Yeah. Like, hmm. Remember this kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a spoiler. Yeah, um, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's, which which just makes it all a bit more puzzling. Like, if, because I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be dead rising in the crypts, but I think something will happen. And, but I don't know what. I, I don't have a lot of solid guesses. It'd be funny if, um, What's her name? That the little girl, the the Shireen stand-in, Tila. If she, well, not funny, but horrifying, really. If if say Gilly had to like kill her after mm. she was resurrected, like a Carsey moment where it was a Carsey. I felt a real Carsey vibe from that, um, and and I was struck by all the times that they mentioned people. You're going to be down in the crypts. Oh. Tila, whatever, that little girl, you can go protect the people in the crypt. Yeah. Oh, Sam, you could also protect people in the crypt. Well, what are we protecting people from? But yeah. I definitely have a sense of menace. So, but, you know, it's. I guess if it were t- keeping it really simple, what could happen? You know, they just, if Winterfell's overwhelmed and they need to flee, then that's right. not a good place to be. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it's easy to get trapped in there. Mm. The, the idea of raising the dead out of the crypts of Winterfell is compelling. I just am stuck on what Ashea said, which is that the, like, the skeletal whites don't look good. They look yeah. silly, yeah. yeah. They look and, silly. And, yeah, and HBO, they, they survey people. They know that it, and they, they see the reviews. They know it was not popular. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. There's a lot of people in the chat and in general who have wondered about, you know, some high magic statues fighting, which has been an idea in general. I'm down oh, on that Harry idea. Potter. but I, Yeah, it's like Harry <laughs> Potter. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think anyone has any other thoughts, but I am that is a thing I've seen um, in the chat a few yeah. times already now. Sam H says, shout out from New Zealand. Love the show. Thank you, Sam. Richard Sigmund says, Theon and Sansa have already hooked up in book. Really? Have they? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, think so. so. <laughs> uh, I would be interested to hear why <laughs> you think that. Uh, Chris Trombley says, battle beneath, battle above. Will we see a battle in the middle of the God's Eye? Joke aside, what are the chances we see a third dragon battle at the God's Eye? Uh, Slim well, to none in the show, I think. Probably not in the show, yeah. yeah. I, think I, I like. By the way, one of the things that I didn't mention I liked about all that theory ranting I had was, was tying it to Lady Gwynn's mention that, that Hall will be Winterfell in the book, so that's where people will make their stand. It makes a lot of sense because it's by the God's Eye because it's so big and it can fit everybody. Um, yeah. Also, it would... Makes sense to have the last stand a little more south than yeah. up there. after the others have no, already or... made, done so much damage, and we've seen starvation and, and disease and all sorts of mass dyings, and then the humans start to mm-hmm. get some, you know, get to fight back a little bit. 
LML says XOXO. I predict Brandon Night King will carry the battle over the astral plane, and even if both seem to die, they will continue to fight there. Yeah, I've seen a lot of related theories like that, that maybe Bran will have to trap Night King inside the werewood net. It's getting all very Legion. Yeah. Uh, Or like Doctor Strange. (laughs) Similar, yeah, same universe, yeah. (laughs) That makes perfect sense, yeah. (laughs) Vampirus99 says... What's, What's your, your bogger white? Yes. Is that you a know Harry what that is? Thing? It's a Harry Potter thing. Okay, well, yes. I don't know. So you Basically, guys Basically, it's like, it's this creature, a magical creature that when you open it, when you see it, when you open like a cupboard or something and you see it, it shows you what you're most afraid of. So basically, this person oh. is asking, what character would you be most afraid of or most upset oh, okay. by seeing? It um, could be fear. It could be sad. You could interpret it a few ways. An undead banana. <sighs> And I should say bananas. Okay. <laughs> no, um, no, I would go with characters. Oh, uh, you got yeah. You go ahead. I'm, go ahead. I'm, if anyone has an answer, you can go ahead. Anyone want to say? Pod. 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 Oh, it's pod for you. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it would be. I oh, think baby. it would be Hodor. Hodor. Yeah, Hodor. Even though I, I'm fairly confident while, it's not yeah. going to be, but that would for me because the idea would be going back to all this time. Hodor has been the undead slave, you know, and it would just be. <laughs> yeah. I think, oh, I think right now, Grey Worm is who I think of because Ooh. of that oh. scene and like how he was, you know, a slave yeah. as well, like what you're talking about there. And because like Masanda is there, the idea of a pairing of people who could be, who could face each other. So like similarly, the idea of if one of Sam or Gilly became one, like, mm. or one of Jamie or Brienne, the idea of someone facing a loved yeah. one mm. like <clears throat> that. Yeah, um, I've been I've been having so much like creepy fun trying to come up with those combinations. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a really fun and upsetting exercise. Yeah, I'm picturing like, like Sansa seeing Arya undead or something. You yeah, know, like, some yeah. terrible yeah. ones. Really Yikes. terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, Jamie having to kill an undead Brienne. Or oh yeah. God. Yeah. What about um, not that it's as terrifying because I don't think we're quite you know a lot of people aren't nearly as big a fan of Jorah. But what if? There's another one of those undead bears, and Jorah is undead riding it. The bear riding the undead. Danny has to burn him, burn him to the ground. That's all I want. Yeah, yes. We were talking about undead Jorah and how uh, on, on on our podcast storm spoilers, we were talking about undead Jorah and how Daenerys might have to kill him. And uh, my co-host Dave Gonzalez is like, "Oh, that'd be the world's saddest Dracarys." Roast Jora to you know stop mm-hmm. him. So yeah. Oh, someone yeah. brings up Brienne having to kill an undead Sansa. Seems very yeah. unlikely, but like the idea of like Ooh. the protector killing Brienne. the protected. Oh my god, that would be uh, tragic as. As yeah. All hell. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem that likely, but yeah, it's no. a good thought. Yeah, it's good bad thought. Good bad thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think all like the reason I think all of this is going to happen, or one of the reasons happened in episode three, is so then we could get this the the traumatized shell shocked survivors, right? You know, like if you see this and you see your friends and loved ones not just killed but then resurrected and killed again, mm. like that's such that's so much drama for the last. Yeah. Three episodes of season, you know. So I I made this point on Twitter that it's because it kind of just struck me that the way we used to talk about Game of Thrones, the Song of Ice and Fire, is that it's low magic fantasy, and now we have an immortal <laughs> necromancer king riding an undead dragon that breathes blue <laughs> fire who wants to kill a boy who knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little different. Yeah. Low level fantasy indeed. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, we're at the hour mark, so I think we want to get into a little mid-roll action That's here. That's right. Thanks for covering me there. And I pulled my headphones <laughs> cord out while making my silly joke there. I think it was all me, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, yeah, a couple of thanks, uh, a couple of shout-outs. Thank you to our uh, Blood Rider patrons. That's Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragonbone hilt. Koakoi, called Sunpiercer, wielder of a dragonbone bow and founder of a new podcast on Amelia Earhart. Check that out. Mm-hmm. A Kukavo, the tamer, wielder of a wildfire whip Gehenna, or the wildfire whip Gehenna. Yeah. Very cool. And we see our... more Blood Riders in our podcast than we do in Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> that's true. The low bar, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's, by the way, an important thing about Jorah that we didn't talk about, is that that's why he's, someone pointed out that he's the one leading the dragger with the Dothraki. Yeah. And that's important, because he speaks Dothraki, and yes. like, if he dies, that's like, Danny's like the only one who knows Dothraki. Uh, Danny and Masande at least. Oh, Masande knows Danny's down, languages. but yeah. uh, still, not very many. Yeah, I'm not worried about Masande in the short term. Uh, well... I'm worried about everybody a little bit, yeah, but Masande, sure. I think, is she's got to be around to be sad that Grey Worm died. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> ah, that's really sad. Okay. Uh, also, thanks to our Northern Champions We patrons. really need them now more than ever. <laughs> yes, we really need these Northern Champions now more than ever. It's true. And I can't find them. Here they, they are. are. Jay Wilson, Winter's King. Sir Stephen, Hammer of the North. Winter's King, Lord of the First Men. Lady Ar- Ardross, Mother of Wolves, Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Claymore, Manticore. Sir Brian the Return, Knight of the Last House, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Song. Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, words are wind, deeds are stone. Lady Cat Jones of the Big Pond is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Ginger's Honor. Jake Snow, aka Jacob Ice Eyes, is the bastard of the Last River. Lord Darren of House Rambler, motto, the last hunt is ceaseless. Lady Bobby of House Mitchell. And Bullweir the Pul- Purple of Heavenly Mythhead House Taurus. Cool. That is our uh, mid-roll action. We can move on now. Uh, let's talk about... Well, actually, there's one thing I wanted to talk about, or two other little things I wanted to talk about. Joanna, we should trash talk a little bit with, with our, uh-huh. our our fantasy game. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the Verge the is hosting a fantasy uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> fantasy game that, that uh, we both have teams in. History of Westeros and Storm of Spoilers both have teams. I think As you guys does, are uh, Con of Thrones and Watchers on the Wall. And and Sam Coleman has his own and team. Sam Coleman, yeah, we're beating you. <laughs> you are beating us right now. Yeah, we're ready to go to make a big move up. Though we yeah. drafted uh, heavily on the uh, the the people who fight. We got the Hound. We got Brienne. We got Viserion. Yeah, or not Viserion. We got Drogon and Rhaegal. Gonna be oh, right. So we All hope right. to score a lot of points through killing. We're we're war uh, we're, we war drafted. <laughs> I see, I see how it is. Um, we are still not over that time you guys beat us at trivia. Yes. Like, this is making by, up by one a point that we argued yeah. for. Yeah, that one point that you beat us by. It was like two years ago, and I still haven't forgotten. So, <laughs> this, this is vengeance. Yeah, yeah. vengeance, yeah. justice, uh, fire, and blood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also want to announce that the Jenny song is what we're going to move on to next, but so inspiring. So many people have made covers of it. I want to join the cover train of making, <laughs> of, of singing the song, but I really can't right now because we have so much going on. I have three podcasts to edit before we leave tomorrow. <laughs> and one of them was our uh, this bo- bonus episode that we actually recorded an interview with Max Brooks, the, uh, of World War Z fame. And, uh, so... 
I have kind of compromised. I'm not, I'm not going to do this now, but I made it a patron goal that's not going to happen soon. I put it kind of high up there so that we don't hit it soon because I don't have time to do it soon, but I want to do it eventually. So it'll be fun maybe if we hit that goal months down the line to revisit Jenny's song through hopefully a, a decent performance by me. And you were talking about the idea of singing it as a group to this weekend at Ice and FireCon. I yeah. feel like that's bound yes. to happen. I think we could do that. I think we could pull that group off. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So that'll be fun. And um, maybe some of us might Record. I'm going to record it with my, I got this field recorder and my condenser mic, and I'm going to record yep. you guys singing. Get you guys to all sign waivers. I don't know. <laughs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> Your time will come. <laughs> well, let's, 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 let's gosh about Jenny's song instead, then, instead of talking about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, to, to start off, I want to share this piece of artwork. The lovely Naomi makes art um, on Twitter. It's already killing it. She did this piece of Jenny of Old Stones. You can see Ooh. on the screen right now. And I just wanted to give her a little shout out because she's just uh, so prolific and she has a patreon that you can sign up for and get art as we have (laughs) yes um as we have and so yeah anyways just here's a nice art to go with it right on so let me run through real quick the basic details uh of of the ghost of high heart jenny song stuff and then y'all weigh in with any stuff you want to add in uh and thoughts we have on the whole business so the ghost of high heart which we know from the books isn't in the show the Arya and the Brotherhood meet her, and she gives all these very accurate prophecies. Well, back in the day, back during the time of Summerhall, before Summerhall, which was in 259, so about 40 years before the books, um, Jenny of Old Stones hung out with the ghost of Highheart, who she claims is a child of the forest. Now, we don't know how they met or why, but Smoking Old Stones weed. is a ruined castle that... I think. What's that? Smoking weed. Smoking weed, yeah, Just they were hooking out. out. Yeah. <laughs> and... For somehow, Duncan the Small, who is named for Duncan the Tall, he's the firstborn of Egg. Um, and by the way, the show removed Jaehaerys the second, so Egg is Ares' yeah. father in the show, by the way. I didn't, oh, I didn't realize that until recently. That's a good clarification recently. to make. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, they did. I didn't realize that until someone like yelled at me about the family tree that I used in an article, and then someone came, because I was using the show family tree. Oh. I was like, oh, actually, they changed it in the show. And I was like, oh, in on the technicality. <laughs> yeah. So Jenny of Oldstone somehow meets Duncan the Small, who falls in love and gives up his crown. He's the heir to the throne. And she's brought to court. And her prophecy, which I guess wasn't as accurate then as it was for the for the Brotherhood, was that the Prince of his Promise would be born in their line. And that by the way, had a lot to do with the Targaryens kind of getting back into forced marriages. So what was the exact marriages. wording there? In their line, like they're just standing in line at the store. And someone's just someone's born. In, the, in, the, in the queue. Yeah, in um, the queue. From their queue. <laughs> well, doesn't like, I mean, technically it's still in their line can mean like generations down the line. I know, yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, I, I, still think she, I still think she's accurate. Yeah. Oh, she she got it right. But there was a lot of damage done (laughs) by people who thought it was them in the meantime because Egg thought he was fulfilling. And then Rhaegar, who was born at Summerhall, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's uh, the ghost of Highheart, of course, is still alive and gorged on grief at Summerhall, as she says. And she asks for Jenny's song every time the Brotherhood show up. That's like part of her payment. She wants a kiss, some wine, and Jenny's song sung by uh, Thomas Evans. Um, So. 
the show obviously isn't getting into that too much, but it's so cool that it was on the show at all. Like, who, we never expected any of this business yeah. to make it on the show, so it was just amazing. Um, we did cover a lot of this very, I hope, very thoroughly back in 2015 with the tragedy of Summerhall and the shadow of Summerhall, Ares and Rhaegar and all these, all this business. So that's my spiel. Uh, Lady Gwen, let's start. We haven't heard from you in a minute, so... Give us your thoughts about just Jenny's song and the historical significance and the way everything mm -hmm. is tied together so well. Whatever you want to say. Yeah, I want to say that. Gosh, I I love this song, and and you like you said, never expected to see this stuff coming into play, and the whole way it all it tied in with the with Duncan Egg with Jamie and Brienne, and then with RLJ, um, which we'll talk about you know, again, later, I assume. Uh, Rhaegar, like the Ghost of High Heart, was also very moved by a Summerhall tragedy. You know, she was, you know, mourning the loss of um, of her Jenny, who um, was married to Duncan the Small, who died there, presumably. The fan, but there are fan theories, I'm trying to say, that that, Rhaegar and the Ghost of High Heart would uh, actually meet up at the ruins, and that he would play the song for her. Um, whether Good we, theory. Yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting theory. Uh, speaking of Rhaegar singing the songs, um, mm -hmm. there's a fairly common conclusion in the fandom that he sang that song to Lyanna. Mm -hmm. um, and that's which... the that's the scene where she punches Benjen for laughing at her, right? Yeah, so that's, <laughs> but that's where, you know, it it's, that's the tie-in to RLJ. So this song was just such an unexpected thing and such a masterful stroke of tying together those two major components of this episode, plus encapsulating something that we'll also talk about shortly, you know, one of the major themes of the episode. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it was stunning to me because it really pulled it off together yeah there's a lot of layers to this yeah. yeah it's just the kind of depth we really have have kind of <laughs> forgotten can exist in the show not to be exactly. so mean yeah. but it's kind yeah. of true so yeah joanna please your turn oh. to gush <laughs> no um yeah i i you know it's worth mentioning um as everyone probably in this listening to this knows because you guys know the book so well that there's like literally one line of this song uh, in the books, you know what I mean? So they had to add all these lyrics that Dan Weiss wrote all those extra lyrics. Brian Carbon was telling me um, on my pod podcast that um, he's like, oh yeah, I, you know, we, we wrote in that we were going to do Jenny's song and I wrote lyrics TK and then I sent the draft off to Weiss and Betty off and I got it back and Dan Weiss had written all the lyrics and I was going to write them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so well, he did a good like, job. Yeah, no, he did an amazing job. Uh, Brian was like, oh, I think he wanted those, um, it's ASCAP, right, that does like, you know, song royalties. He's like, I think he wanted that royalty check because Brian Coppin wrote the, ly the lyrics uh -huh. to the actual lyrics, so it's always somewhere under the sea. He's uh -huh. like, I get, a, he's like, I get a nice check every now and then because yeah. I heard that. So, oh, sneaky, cool. sneaky. <laughs> meta, there's some so, meta yeah. reasons for that. <laughs> but yeah, so why I smell those lyrics? And I think, you know, 
as as Lady Gunther said, we're going to talk about those themes, but um, I think they're so beautiful, the extra lyrics that they put in there. And it was just like so lovely to have Pod do it, to have Pod do it in this way that like feels like such an invocation of like Pippin singing in Return of the King, like all of this just really beautiful fantasy, we're going off to war kind of stuff tied into all this book lore. It just felt like a gift, as we've been saying, like since the top of this episode, this episode of TV felt like a love letter to the fandom to the book fans specifically and so to have a, a like i was like oh i didn't know there was another song they were going to give us like <laughs> a gift for all of us and it's so like the melody is so beautiful and like when when the show does something like that i was talking about this elsewhere but when the show does that when it does like reigns of castamere or the bear and the maiden fair it sort of codifies this tune to a song that we like knew as book readers but we didn't have like a tune for it i'm sure they're like I know that other people had performed the songs, versions of the songs, mm -hmm. book fans had written music and stuff like that. But now here's a tune that like probably we'll all wind up agreeing on that this is the tune to Jenny's mm -hmm. song. And like mm -hmm. this becomes this new gift for us. So, yeah. yeah, very well said. Yeah. Just yeah. to tie together some of that stuff um, mm -hmm. as well. I'll get your take as well, Shea, but just to throw it out there, the, the song starts with the you know, reminding us of Duncan and Summerhall. And then as the montage proceeds, you have different characters and showing different things and they're dancing with their ghosts, which is the next section we have in this episode. We have every character's dancing mm -hmm. with their ghost moment, which I'm really excited to talk about. And then, like you said, it finishes with Danny and John, who not only have, there's a lot of resonance for them uh, in terms of the plot and, and the, the idea of, of the succession, but also in terms of how it might even go for them with the, the concept of someone giving up their crown mm -hmm. for love, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. which uh, yeah. could fit into that a whole thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few thoughts off the bat. One is the lyrics were just phenomenal. I mean, we had the first line, you know, which went high in the halls of the kings who were gone. Jenny would dance with her ghosts. But then he added, you know, a, a bit more to that, which fits very well with the ideas of the songs with what you're going to talk about with, you know, old stones and the idea that it's old stones versus summer hall and the, and the lyrics fit with that as well, while also having such resonance for the character, for the shots we saw in that episode and for the themes of each character that we're going to talk about going forward. Um, but I thought it was also interesting in the entertainment weekly article, the interview about the lyrics, um, they highlighted, the themes of these lyrics about it being warm and having fellowship together and how they wish it could last longer, but it's not going to like this scene, mm. which is very much not what I took out of it. Like mm. it was part of it, but it really speaks to like the depth of the song perhaps. Yeah. That's really know. good. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and of course this lyric, you, you, you wrote the lyrics here mm -hmm. and the one lyric is they spun her around on the damp old stones, which is a nice little touch because she's Jenny of old stones. Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of a clue that, like you said, it's, it's not necessarily clear whether it was summer hall or old stones you're referring to, but this sort of strongly points towards old stones um, as the place mm -hmm. that she's there. That's being but referred to. The other to. thing it raised the question of is will winter winter fell, fall you know if, if we're seeing this scene this mm. montage in winterfell before this battle and you know it's really about these ruins of old yeah. of old mm. stones and summer hall um it makes me more worried about winterfell itself mm. than i was before okay because i kind yeah. of thought it could be yeah. salvaged let me just toss out this uh quote from catelyn which she says to rob in a storm of swords well when they're there at old stones they're talking about Jenny, uh, that this 
song and she says to rob we're all just songs in the end if we're lucky mm, yeah that's great and so if you, think, you know just <laughs> to come just yeah. when you merge that with the, the themes that we're going to talk about in this it's um it's heartbreaking yeah so you know and like and 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 you know not to get too whatever in the weeds about it but like and then this is the song like not just jenny jenny's song but like this show these books are the song of like these people, right? Yeah. And the song that they've become. I was thinking, I was struck by that most watching this episode when Sam gives heart spring to Jorah. And I was just thinking about this idea of like passing swords down and how like, if you've got the story of this story, generations later, you'd be like, and then at the Battle of Winterfell, Samuel Tarly gave the sword to Sir Jorah Mormont and it became a Mormont blade. You know, like the history of these swords are being written yeah. in front of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> all going to be over soon. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's, I guess that's what that sentiment from uh, Dan is meta in that sense, where we wanted to keep going, but <laughs> it was Never wanted to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, also, one last thought on that. Um, oh, really? Or... Or not. Yeah, I lost okay. my thought. <laughs> we're down here to Dancing with Their Ghosts. I think we're on to this next section. Right? Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to Dancing with so Their we've Ghosts. We've got about half an hour, 35 minutes left in this. Cool. So one of the constantly rising number of reasons why Jenny's song was an incredible touch is how it reflects this major theme of the episode of every character sort of dancing with their own ghosts or with mm-hmm. each other's ghosts in some cases. Yeah. Um, Tyrion even says something about the perils of self-betterment, right, Lady Gwen? Yeah, yeah. I just I think you get you see everybody reflecting on change on the ghosts of their former selves and and where their redemption has brought them. Yeah. Um so, you see that yeah. in other scenes too. I mean, even before this with Sandor and Arya, you know, with him saying, like, you used to be, you know, so quiet, but like you see yeah. some characters specifically talking about it. You see that with Brienne and Jamie. Yeah. Like yeah. it's sometimes explicitly stated in, in the episode for sure. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. I think it's a major thing in this yeah it's, it's really yeah it's really overwhelming the more you look at it the more it just pops out uh, a quick line from Tyrion: we dance on the strings of those who came before us but uh, with the dancing yeah. theme here but a lot of the characters in this episode have learned to sort of cut those strings with great difficulty and kind of become their own person and sort of leave behind mm-hmm. what they were and in a lot of cases what someone else made them or multiple people made them or their or the world made them and uh Let's start off with Jamie and Tyrion talking about how their father would react to them fighting for Winterfell and how he would just, like, you would blow a gasket. So they're just <laughs> discussing the ghost of Tywin. And they admit their failures with regard to Cersei, who they've is kind of a ghost of them now because there's no going back. I didn't her, think you know. they were going to go there with, like, Tywin being aghast at them at Winterfell. I just really want to see Tywin's reaction to, like, actually seeing these White Walkers and the Night King. <laughs> we like... This is where I first went with it. Yes, right. <laughs> what do you finally? He was so dismissive. Yeah, he was extremely it, dismissive. Yeah. Would he finally like break his like his facial features? Would finally be like, oh, that is terrifying, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just would like to see Tywin like really scared. <laughs> yeah. So will we see? Here's a tough yeah, question. Yeah. Will we see a white Tyrion? I don't mean white. He's already white. I mean white undead. Tyrion. Yeah. <laughs> w W I G H T. Yeah. 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 What do you guys think? Anyone want to answer first? Is that too painful to even try to answer? Um, you know, it's like in my head, all I can think of is that is like that screaming emoji. Yeah, and he's the one who says, "Maybe I'll walk down to, I'll be rise up and which is like rip Cersei in half." He he's all do like, "Because they made it so on the nose." Yeah, that's that's right. yeah. It was too on the nose to be foreshadowing. It was just too. He did, he did say he was optimistic. Yeah, I think we'll survive. So, hopefully. <laughs> 
Probably not. One person pointed out, by the way, that he, he got his optimism seemed to he seemed to have it strike a different tone after that secret conversation with Bran that we don't see. Like he was yeah. like talking about how everyone's going to die, and then after that he started to become more yeah. I've seen a lot of people yeah. theorizing that Tyrion and Bran sat there and talked, and they came up with mm. a little tweak to the plan. And I have seen yeah. that as a common idea. I mean, Tyrion yeah. they yeah. keep talking about how important Tyrion's mind is. If Bran laid everything out for him, like he should be doing more often. Every time we have a conversation with anyone, I'm like, why aren't you telling them? Like, oh fire is really good against like the whites or any number of like mm. little things yeah. i guess we just don't need to see them repeating it but still there's some some crucial information out there that Tyrion mm -hmm. needs some more pieces yeah that's true okay yeah i so, think something happened Joanna, there I, yeah. Oh, yeah do you think either a we will see Tyrion become a white and b do you think Tyrion has anything up his sleeve with bran um, I asked Brian Cogman, like, what was that conversation between Brian and Tyrion that we cut away from? Uh -huh. And he said, like, he started answering and sort of like, oh, you know, they talked about Brian's journey. And I was like, okay, is that it? And he was like, well, I, I know what they talk about, but like, better uh -huh. not say it. So I was like, God damn it. So, um, that means it's important. <laughs> it might be important or maybe he's just playing coy. Okay. Yeah. He could be, uh, you know, uh, who knows? But, um, I don't know, like, I feel like, you know, there was this big controversy around Cer the Cersei and Tyrion scene, uh, conversation at the end of last season, which we cut away from, and everyone's like, what is their secret plot? And I think we found out <laughs> yeah. that there was no secret plot. So sometimes I think they just cut away from a conversation because they cut away from a conversation. Because it's boring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they just have to do that. It was just yeah. there's just a lot of it, you know, in the last. Yeah. So people. Well, I mean, that. like it was suspicious enough that I was like, "What was that?" Um, but you know, I think it might be nothing. So. <laughs> I love the suggestion from the chat. You're laughing at the same one, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I am. Ayk says, "Why don't they just chop Brand's hand off and tie it onto the tree? Because it's the, where the mark is, you know." Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Then him and, and he Jamie can really be will like Jamie, <laughs> Mark. I've I've been seeing people in your chat talk this whole time about cutting off Brand's arm. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't why have another mark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. Everyone's just like really sadistic. I get it. Yeah. Um, and of course, Bran is clearly someone who has changed dramatically. And Jamie's flat out says to him, "I'm not the man I was." So they they have that conversation of dancing with their ghosts. Sandor is no longer self serving. We kind of covered that already. He mentions Thoros to Beric, who is kind of a character that fits. The description of ghost better than just about anyone other than maybe well ghost and because uh, <laughs> he's you know already dead and uh but it's interesting because Beric is one of the few characters in the show at this point who isn't he's his transformation came long ago he's one of the few like rocks he's consistent yeah, he's very he's static like, yeah yeah the other example of that is uh torment torment is someone who hasn't really changed a lot he's adapted to his, the changing circumstances but he is still very much torment his personality is basically unchanged which is cool it's cool to have some consistency you know yeah aria uh no longer chatty according yeah. to sandor and no longer a virgin <laughs> so that's a change so question for everybody does gendry and aria hook up in the, in the books does gendry yeah do gendry and aria hook up in the books uh joanna let's start with you Yes, why not? Why cool. Sure. Why not? I don't know if Arya will ever be that old in the books. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How old is she currently in the books? Like 12. 12. 12. 12 right? I mean, like, like if, if she had a five year gap, then okay, right. she gets to 17, and we're, that's reasonable, feasible. That is the big problem, yeah. Um, chin, chin. Yeah, but like, yeah, since George did not mm -hmm. get to do his time hop, then I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, if that will happen. Yeah, see, I think it's interesting because oh, 
I, I think it's interesting because Arya definitely in the books as you know has been sexualized in in a in a way even mm-hmm. despite being that young mm-hmm. and so I wonder what connection that has without getting too much into the mercy stuff and all that just uh I am curious about about that mm-hmm. connection and if yeah. we see threads of that there with Arya having some more experiences and then being a little more early in her promiscuity it's not surprising to me like hmm. kids have teenagers have sex at 13 and 12 all the time already yeah so they like sure do. and they <laughs> do in the books already too so like the idea of like another year passes and Arya's 13 and she still like sleeps with gendry it's totally possible i think hmm. um, yeah hmm. and at least it would be a better sex scene for her than the ones that are alluded to as possibilities in the books right on <laughs> yeah um so uh, yeah so more transformations. Um, we have uh, oh, yeah, with this Arya stuff, though. Um, we were talking about this Arya transformation, and um, this is where I wanted to give a shout out to Still Watching because um, <laughs> you, you know, Cogman in that interview you did with him specifically touched on um, how Arya is not the person that Gendry knew, and he says, and in many ways, that's what's attractive about her here because she has changed, but there's that darkness too. Interesting thought to me. Um, yeah, if he's remi- remembering her as a as a young girl, that's yeah, a little weird to be yeah, attracted to. Weird. But now that he's convinced that she's transformed, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Was, uh, yeah. Helps. Yeah, he sees her be a badass, then he sees her with the scars, and because at first when they met, he was like trying to stay. You can't fight, and then she quickly proves that. Oh, well, I can fight. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Bran, not only is Bran transformed into something that isn't Brandon Stark, but he's now bait. That's what he is. He's transformed into bait. Uh, <laughs> yeah there, there's this interesting idea like you know to your point about transformation there's this interesting idea of like uh the starks going out in the world having to change how to how, like leaving the safety and, and the home and security of winterfell that like the walls of winterfell ned stark's like protection and all that sort of stuff going out into the world having to learn how to protect themselves becoming these very hardened creatures because of this like mm-hmm. very scary mm-hmm. world they went into then coming back to winterfell and starting to like soften up a bit because they're home and they they like what I feel like this season or or this return to Winterfell, however brief it may be, is like a return to being st- a Stark. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like Sans- Sansa and Arya and John and like Theon and Bran and you know like all of them like went out and just lost touch with with the Ned of it all. And so much <laughs> of this is about re- reconnecting with that. That nedness. So. <laughs> nedness. I love it. <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to say real quick um, about the Bran and Jamie bit. Um, where Bran tells Jamie in that conversation, he says, you won't be able to help us in this fight if I let them murder you first. Jamie says, you know, what about afterwards? And Bran goes, how do you know there is an afterwards? A couple questions there I just wanted to like touch on real quick. One is, what is Jamie going to do in this fight that Bran might see that he is actually very crucial for just some food for thought um and two is the idea of jamie saying what about afterwards is brand doomed rather than the world being doomed brand doesn't see the future he doesn't see past his own death yeah um just want to just throw yeah. that out there um that's a good call any any uh any response to that yeah i'm trying to go quickly just again because i know we're at a quick pace here yeah. but yeah, i still, sorry. I still really wanted yeah 
really quickly, I would say really quickly, I promise, uh, <laughs> that from a from a show doesn't want to tip the hand of the outcome of the Battle of Winterfell, mm-hmm. to have Bran say something that mysterious is like, who says there's an after <laughs> yeah. is like, is, yeah, you know, that's leaving a, good a question point. mark for you. But. Yeah, that's a good point that it's just a standard thing for the perfect little soundbite, whatever, right. you know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So mo- more ghost dancing. Brienne becomes a knight. Uh, becomes Every time you say this, I think of ghost, the the, the dire wolf dancing. <laughs> by the yeah. way, I've, I've had this picture multiple times. <laughs> well, we we and in the books, we we get the idea of ghost juggling, right? <laughs> Sam, <laughs> John uh, says, "I'd love to see Joe juggle to uh, Alex Joe's Thorne. juggle, yes, and." Uh, so when Brienne becomes a knight, we also have earlier in the episode a group of scared men who say they aren't soldiers, and Davos says, "Well, you are now," and that is a, a callback to Davos himself being at uh, Blackwater, where he was thinking of how he's a smuggler, but now he's a soldier, <laughs> and uh, that's a neat kind of transformation going from like it's it's like a different types of soldiery ranks sort of thing. And at one point, he was a good married man, and now he just, I, I don't know, never seen him write a letter to his life once. Yeah, his that, wife that once. would happen off screen. I anyway. know it would. I'd just like to give them a hard time. Poor Davos. Poor Davos' wife. Mar- Mariah. Poor yes. Mariah. <laughs> Sansa and Theon have a shared ghost in the name of Ramsay, a ghost that will never, never not haunt them, at least a little bit. There's no way you can forget that life experience. And... He's trying to bury the ghost of redemption or the 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 ghost of Ramsay through yeah. redemption because uh, he has his own ghosts, yeah. um, you know, killing the Miller's boys and Sir Roderick and redemption is 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 the one way to at least sort of put that to rest. You know, the destruction of Winterfell makes is even more bittersweet to me with the idea of like Sansa and Theon. They had so many good memories in it, but also so many really bad memories. Really bad. Like, yeah. like maybe it's for the best they don't live out their lives in this place where they were traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about watching like Craster's wife daughters watching yeah. the crafters keep burn like there would maybe be a part of Sansa beyond being like all right burn it down yeah yeah <laughs> yeah let's start it let's start again <laughs> <laughs> and lady gwen what do you th- uh, what do you think about Sansa theon here uh well i think about i think about theon specifically that he um in addition to all those other ghosts that he's haunted by ramsey by by himself by the ghost of the person that he was uh, he's haunted by the ghost of Rob Stark. He thinks of him a lot in A Dance with Dragons. He thinks I should have died with him. And we mentioned this last week, you know, that, that um, we've we've concluded that he um, has this kind of one last redemptive arrow shot in him. He has settled his rede- identity crisis um, and now he's going to give everything he's got to defending Bran in a mirror to the what he did early on in Game of Thrones when he killed the wildling, and and Rob was so furious at him. Uh, yeah. So I think that in this way he's going to lay that angry Rob ghost to rest finally. That's a by good call. Saving I hadn't thought Bran about with that arrow shot. Yeah, yeah. that that early scene and, with Theon shooting the arrow with save Bran. Mm-hmm. I thought about. Didn't think about that. That's a great catch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, moving on, a very unscared but very scarred <laughs> little girl named Tila charms Gillian Davos, and they dance with the ghost of Shireen as a yeah. result. And I had remembered, of course, that Gilly interacted with Shireen, but I, it took me a second to put two together that she taught both of them how to read specifically. So this is very uh, meaningful and sadder moment. But um, a little side note about um, kind of hits more on what Sean was wondering about in episode in our show only review. He was thinking about how. Some moments are contrived perhaps and how sometimes that has to happen and in um and you know cogman stated about this and he said that he did write you know a version of it where davos and gilly start talking about shireen like they talk about her and it just felt too contrived so they you know he got notes and they changed it so okay. just a little aside as well cool. about that but um I, I liked seeing, I mean, Gilly in particular, how much she has changed from being in Craster's Keep. She doesn't really have uh, you know, exposure to the world at large or to knowledge. And now here she is in Winterfell with, like, ladies to model her hair after and, you know, little girls to, you know, try Look to boost her. up. And, yeah. yeah, she just, she's out there. I, I'm happy yeah. for Gilly. Team Gilly. Yeah, go Gilly. <laughs> yeah, and, and I gotta go back in time and say my bogger white might be Gilly. Like, I, really need, I really need Gilly and little Sam to pull through this. Yes. Yeah, little Sam white. We really can't have a little Sam Little white. Sam just no. needs to go, go hug his well, white walker brothers and all yeah, of the good. Exactly, since all those white walkers are her brother uncles. Uh, oh. you know, yeah, um, good point. Oh. Yeah. By the way, that's a, a, a an un... un unrealized uh mystery there <laughs> do the white walkers just go straight from baby to old man or what yeah, <laughs> is there any sort of in between there's no in between there's no in there's a teen white walker <laughs> somewhere out there there's an adolescent white yeah. walker. teen white walkers go through a fire phase when they're like rebellious and they start to <laughs> funny hairdo and yeah. pants down right night kick still has a funny hairdo you never grew out of that <laughs> <laughs> Still has um, those hair spikes. Yeah, he's, he's the teen one. Their their king is their teen. Rob Stark, right? He's just same thing. Um, so John and Sam and Ed recall their fallen brothers. Lots of ghosts there. While Ghost sits by nearby, mm-hmm. uh, a little a little smaller. He hasn't been eaten as much. Yeah, smaller yeah. ghost, <laughs> shrunken ghost. Seriously, yeah. if they they really it would have been a huge fail. Even though they hardly ever have ghosts, it would have been a really huge fail to not have ghosts in an episode full of ghosts. I mean, really, come on. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> and that was I really, pretty... I really, I really felt that the watch, the the ghosts. I just wanted to say that the, of the past Night's Watch as mm. in that scene, very palpable. Yeah, they, they, them know, looking out over, you know, looking, like looking out, out standing on the wall, yeah. looking at, you know, waiting for the it, horn blast. Yeah, I was, I was rewatching. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched these YouTube compilations. There are some like. Dedicated fellow or out there or lady who has like will take a character and put together like all of their scenes and it will be like a minor character. So I watched the Lord Commander Ed Tollert's uh, compilation, like all the Ed scenes. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, like, and there's this great, uh, you know, that when he says, uh, you know, last one alive. Uh, like you know, burn us or whatever. I like. I knew that was a callback. Some guys couldn't remember what it was. And it's a scene with Pip and Gren and Sam and John, and they're all sitting there. And like, <laughs> you know, Ed says like, you know, be a good lad, burn us or something like that. Mm. But it was like mm. a moment with all. It was a callback to a moment where all five of them were together, mm. and then it was just three left. And they're like, here's to Pip and Gren and all the other, mm. all the other guys we left yeah. behind. Mm. Okay. Um, then we have Jorah and Sam. Uh, laying the ghost of G.R. Mormont to rest. Uh, you'd think that if he could see that moment between them, it would make him smile from beyond the grave. 
Mm -hmm. Tormund brings up Jamie's former identity and tells of who he came to be. Uh, there's no ghost, like I said. Tormund's kind of an exception, <laughs> he being kind of being who he is. But it's fun to talk about Tormund's stories because I think we get there's a little ghost here. Yeah. A little, well, okay. no, I mean I'm not. A, I'm not as a joke. I just mean truly. I think Tormund cared about Ygritte. Okay. Um, I yeah, think he okay. did. And when he greets John, I mean, he had to, you know, make his peace with what happened there. And he yeah. hugs him and calls him my little crow. And like, yeah, okay. yeah I, I generally like there was there's a few moments in the show where like Tormund was kind of getting involved in their relationship and not wanting it to blow up like he knew it would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really missed Ygritte in the scene where Tormund's talking about his like giant cycling a giant. Oh, yeah. She would have given him so much shit for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know you never poked a bear. Like, you know, she would have said something. So, <laughs> uh, so Lady Gwen, who uh, long ago, uh, earlier in our show reviews, coined the term the law of conservation of actors. We get the law of conservation of origin stories with Tormund here, where the giant babe and the mother of bears uh, are combined yeah. into one story. One but terrible story. Like, yeah, I really was expecting <laughs> someone to say something more to him about how, like, this isn't really a story you brag about. <laughs> no. so to me. I'm, we were right there with everyone else in the room just going. What? <laughs> Who is this guy? What well, is he's pretty entertaining. Glad he's on our side. That's what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we have uh, the the enemy, the walkers and the Night King and the dead. The metaphor of ghosts works super well for them. They're the oldest ghosts of all. And uh, you don't really need to explain that. But the line that ends the or the moment that ends the, the song is with John and Danny. And John becomes Aegon, dancing with the ghost of his mother in the crypt. And, of course, Ned and Rhaegar are a big part of this conversation. So there's all sorts of powerful ghosts in this scene. And Danny... Uh, it's a transformation for her as well. She's also dancing with the ghost of her father and brother mm -hmm. uh, and and her own childhood because she was just reminded of Jamie and all that stuff, like her the death of her father and Viserys telling mm -hmm. her all this stuff about how we're going to get him one day. And uh, and then, of course, the big change in her, you know, legal status, which John doesn't even seem to realize is what he's saying. He's like, wait. You know, it makes sense when you think about it, too, because, like, Daenerys is faced again with the idea of, okay, my father really was a terrible man. The things my brother told me were wrong. Yeah. Well, my brother told me that my other brother was a good man. Maybe he did. He, he raped this woman. He did these things. I guess I need to make my peace for, for good mm. that this is what happened. And she's down there thinking about it. And then Jon says, no, actually, your brother was right about him being a good man. He just she's like, like uh... didn't handle things that well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They had different priorities in that moment. It's pretty interesting. But let's let's uh, not talk about that just yet. Uh, Lady Gwen, you had a thought on um, Tyrion as well here. Uh, with Tyrion and Danny, I mean, to talk about ghosts, it's a parallel I had never um, considered very deeply is the parallel between Danny and Tyrion and Aerys and, and Tywin. And I got a real strong sense of that in, in that um, in the scene when they're talking about his missteps. Ooh, yeah. um, I feel like that was purposeful. Mm. What do you think, Joanna? Um, yeah, no, I hadn't even thought about that connection. That's a good one. <laughs> My yeah. mind's a little blown by it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm surprised that we've never talked about it, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> when I came, I was like, oh my word, <laughs> that seems so obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, the idea of, um, if we could, the idea of uh, 
John, like John and Danny had different things on their mind in that moment. Is this something you have notes on already, Ashea, for later? On what? On John and Danny's different. Yeah, we have Danny's reactions. Okay. I, my, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk <laughs> about the second set of questions. We'll move on from the ghost section. I know we, we don't have a lot of time. Um, so I'll just blast through this as quick as possible. Yeah, we're close. We just have the Danny's reactions section and we're done. Okay, really. cool. Will Gilly and Sam become walkers, not whites, and join their brothers? Ooh, hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, yeah. Probably not. The first female walker. Yeah, She's that really is. really breaking that glass ceiling. Well, I love it. That glass ceiling. Yeah. Boom. I am concerned for that, that baby, though. She took him away. I to know, save I him am from, too. To save him from this fate, and now he's right there. I hope yeah. there's like an age limit, or they're like, maybe old for us. <laughs> a little gamey. Like, I don't know. So like, Mary, they have a name? Old. Maybe, Marin, you know. Marin, Marin Trant of you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Marin Trant is a white walker. He was, <laughs> he missed his true calling. <laughs> 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 he fits right in. He's horrible. <laughs> Uh, okay, so a couple of let's handle a set of questions here, or the rest of the, the questions rest rather. Yes. Dornish Dan says the dragon is not a slave. Some believe Viserion is not a slave to Night King. The dragon's blue eyes are different than the human whites, therefore not a zombie minion. Thoughts? Mm. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of vague. It's kind of not clear. There might be like the what, touching, what, I mean, like direct yeah. touch, is a different kind of thing. Yeah, because I mean, he was letting Night King ride ride him. Yeah, yeah, so. and, yeah, and he's like the white and the the he, yeah has full use of all his limbs and his dragon fire and all that. Yeah. It seems more uh, along the White Walker magic side. I, I agree. Do you guys feel differently? Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's definitely. more of a white walker than a white dragon, and I yeah. still prefer just saying ice dragon. White flyer. I don't mess with it. <laughs> yeah. I like to say zombie dragon because it just dragon. like yeah. steps away from everything because yeah. I don't even think like the show has been consistent with their the way they talk about it. So like yeah. I think they don't care about the distinction, which mm -hmm. bothers us. Yeah. But like, yeah. you know, not mm -hmm. that. I think we if if there's an undead dragon in the books, it will be more clear what's going on. Maybe not though. So. <laughs> uh, Acre Frey says, "Has Joanna said Irish wristwatch yet? Did we get you to do Irish wristwatch last time?" No, I don't think so. Okay, okay say Irish wristwatch three times. You can't times even do past. it once. See, I can't even do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch, Irish wristwatch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Much love from Edgar Frey for that. Thank very you very well. much. All right. Chris Trombley says, despite the song being made two centuries later, the Jenny of Oldstone team got myself thinking of Raina Targaryen reminiscing about her ghosts with Larissa Valerian on Evenstar. That's a good That's catch. Yes. And of course, we've talked about Raina. Um, mm -hmm. As a parallel for Cersei, the Queen in the West business is a lot of lot of uh, mm -hmm. meat to dig into there. Yeah, I think if you look around at the history in any part of A Song of Ice and Fire, you'll find these themes of loss, and in remote, really mm -hmm. just about any literature period, you'll like this is why this song is really so brilliant that it can resonate mm -hmm. for so many things. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, and, yeah. Getting back to you know the Harrenhal thing, because she she ends up at Harrenhal, which is full of ghosts, but they're not her ghosts. So yeah, the idea true. that, you know, if in, in the books they do end up at Harren Hall. That's a great it, idea. Yeah, because she says, says, oh, they're not my ghosts. They won't bother me. That's, right. yeah. that's That line becomes a lot more telling in that. Yeah, good catch. Mm -hmm. uh, Three-Eyed Monkey, who is, uh, I guess, a relative of Three-Eyed Raven, asks, is the <laughs> RLJ reveal complete? Mira is sure to return, but will she bring Howland? Will Howland reveal why the prince that was promised was conceived? Perhaps Howland Reed knows John must die. Love the channel, guys. Thanks. I don't know that Howland and Mira are sure to return in the show, but in the books, yeah. 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 I don't think Mira is coming back on the show. Okay. Um, 
And I was just saying, like, so this is the third time that we've seen that reveal, right? Of like, mm-hmm. I, oh, this is actually who my parents are. And I was just joking the other day. I was like, I was like, can John hire like a dragon to like skywrite the news so that we don't <laughs> ever have to tell anyone in Westeros again? Like, <laughs> well, you know, see, uh, Sean, like one of our, you know, Sean, who you met, um, he has brought up some thoughts about the average show viewer that I was worth mentioning again sometimes which is that sometimes they they really aren't following that and like i i don't i i i give them more credit than i should i guess but i was talking to my dad and i asked him he was like he, he asked me he was like so how are how are they those two can like related again there are they related and that was after watching episode one and two he's seen the whole well, show what, and well, like one reason that your dad might need like why has no one ever said like the word incest yet? No one yeah. has ever said it yet, and that makes you yes. her, and that makes what you did this. Yeah, yes. no one has said that yet, and yes. I don't know why. So yeah, so like they, they haven't really like some of the ways they were, which we're about to get into after this is about how it might portray Danny in a certain way and John in a certain way, but some of that is maybe for the viewer mm-hmm. and yes we can continue with these super chats but it is worth mentioning that yeah we're, we're actually yeah. almost there we just have chris trombley said uh, followed up his super chat with the same reference we just made about megor towers and reina uh, reina's ghost etc or them being his ghost really lady marmalade says thank you for the great convo well you're welcome lady marmalade we'll try to keep it going and keep it coming in the future uh jill wright says davos won't be able to kill the little girl white that would be tila yeah that was kind of what we were saying with the Carsey vibes. It could be Davos could be Carsey in this spot here, which would be damn sad, but I can't exactly say it's not likely. It's definitely, uh, there's some foreshadowing for it. Uh, Jessica Pick, super chat, but no question. Thank you, Jessica. Armando C, any thoughts on how much Dance 2.0 future book plot will make its way into the Daenerys and Aegon show tension? Has that ship sailed? Uh, also, hey, Armando. Hey, oh yeah, Armando. I didn't realize that was our our friend. <laughs> Anyways, how nice. So yeah, the uh, it's hard to say, but um, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of tension. I think there's going to be something there because, but from what we're going to see in this next section, John is not the type to push for that. He doesn't want, want the it. throne. Yeah, he just wants um, everyone to survive. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why is a good segue to this next section. That's why his if you think back to how he reacted when Danny was like, "Well, that means you're." you know, your claim is, do you have a claim to the Iron Throne? And he's like, he looks confused in that moment. He's like, because in his mind, he's like, well, yeah, that, but that's not what I care about. What I care about is the fact that I'm banging my aunt now. Yeah. Right? Isn't yeah, that, that, that is exactly what, yeah, that Kit Harrington says, is that that's what he's upset about. And then he becomes more ups- a little more upset because Danny isn't upset about the incest of it all mm-hmm. and is upset about the throne stuff. And yeah. who cares about mm-hmm. the throne? There's the debtor coming. We're related. I don't know who I'm sleeping with. That's how, <laughs> where I feel his head's at. And you're right about what you said earlier that it has the kind of the, the effect of making Danny seem a little more petty because they needed to explain it. Sean pointed out on Monday, maybe they had Danny say that because it needed to be explained. You were you you backed that up. It's, but it, I don't think right. it, it succeeded. I think it, that's right. It, yeah, I don't think it really succeeded. It. Like despite her laying it out there, they really and, and despite us seeing Rhaegar Targaryen in a flashback, I, we just it's hard for people to grasp onto this character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, let's get y'all's takes on that. 
Um, uh, no, I, I completely agree that that's a good reason to have da Danny articulated, even though it makes her look like a little mm -hmm. uh, power focused. Um, maybe what we need is an entire flashback episode after the battle. Yeah. Episode, episode four oh. is just Rhaegar. All Rhaegar. <laughs> okay, I don't know about all Rhaegar, but like some Leon, you know, if we got an actual flashback episode, like I think that would do the trick. I think that would yeah. be helpful. Significant. <laughs> this would be very final season of Lost. Of but if we just like on the drama in Westeros, let's just do Rhaegar and Lyanna. We get the trident. We get every, we get the we get the tourney at Heron Hall. We get it all. We get everything. Uh, the book readers love it. The show watchers finally understand what we're talking about, and then we move to the end game. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. I guess to be fair to Danny, she's you know some people are wondering why she's not concerned about the incest. It's something that she grew up thinking she would yeah, marry her yeah. brother. It's kind of. Not oh, yeah. as strange. Yeah, sure. Experience, yeah. sure. Yeah. But like the whole p plot of season one hinges on Jamie and Cersei being terrified about their incest. <laughs> yes. So at least largely in Westeros, yeah. incest is frowned upon in this establishment. So yeah. like, yeah, for Daenerys, maybe not, but like John is not upset. But, but, but still that, that like their aunt nephew, right? not brother sister. So there's, I, mm. I still feel like John, it, sh it shouldn't be quite that big of a deal for mm. him. Still pretty bad. But yeah, I agree. It's not as bad, but yeah, it's pretty bad. Lady, go ahead. You had a thought here. Yeah. Um. I, well, I think they're, they're misdirecting by making Danny seem petty because of, you know, where I kind of think Danny's arc is going. Um, I do think that a lot of this stuff that they're showing in her, you know, in her character that seems negative is largely misdirection. I mean, don't in the previous scene, she declared her love for John and we've seen her be sad about being alone in the world, you know, the last Targaryen and all this stuff. So you'd think that she'd be very happy or at least, you know, uh, that she would react quite differently um, on second and third watch of the episode. I watched her face very closely and I felt like it reflected more kind of confusion than anger or defensiveness. Like she's trying to process this, uh, you know, what does this mean to our relationship kind of thing? Yeah. I, I don't think that there's a huge yeah. horror about the incest yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on her part, but you know, she probably realizes that John might be a little disturbed. Maybe that's, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if she does ignoring her right or now. avoiding her throughout the whole episode. Yeah. So she's probably putting it all together and she might be thinking that he's second guessing their relationship because yeah. of this. And she can't read his mind, obviously. And like you said, she's right. under a lot of pressure. There's there's all these things are going really badly. They're facing death. And she's uh, just been confronted yeah. by these really ho horrible childhood memories. See, as well. for me, the thing that's going to really matter is after she sees this this fight here, this battle, is, is this war still John's war? Because I, I don't think it should be John's war for her really at this point. But certainly after things get to a certain point, at the point when if she's sacrificing herself and all of that... I, I want to see her, you know, really go all in on this, which you could assume if she's sacrificing mm -hmm. herself, she is. But yeah. in that, specifically, I'm talking about in that scene with Danny and Sansa where she she calls it John's War. And yeah. I was surprised that Danny, like, maybe at a certain point it was John's War, but I still think at this point, Danny should be convinced, like, no, this is for survival. This mm -hmm. is all of our right. war. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think in that scene where it ended with the question that we didn't get an answer to, mm -hmm. uh, that the, ne the very next question was, about the North is it, if you're going to call this John's war, um, you know, yeah. then, what is your yeah. about what, what happens to the North? Because you, it's either if you want to have the North, then this is your war, not yeah. John's war. It's like the Santa's thing. She's got to take responsibility for the defending the realm if she wants to prove that she's worthy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 
And she sort of did. I mean, she did come north. She's she's at this point. Yeah, it's she's just only there. It's only worse. She's she has there. backed it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, to be fair, John had quite a while, at least a day or two, to process his information. Yeah. And Danny has got it just thrown in her face right there, right before the battle. And when she calls it John's War, that can be Danny being a little manipulative of Sansa. Okay. Yeah. Like she could still feel like she can feel like this is a war for survival, and still know that I can tell Sansa this is John's War, and think that it might play better you might be a negotiating tactic maybe yeah maybe. um and it was interesting that they had the camera on her the whole time during the reveal when john is speaking you don't see john's face it's all danny's react which is a cool way to do it because you get to see her face kind of change and as she realizes the what's being said here um another so, thing oh go ahead well something that brian carwin said that um david nutter who directed this has directed like so many great episodes of game of thrones he directed um you know rings of castamir mother's mercy like a bunch of, of like really great episodes and um he the way he shoots is he shoots a ton of coverage which means he just like shoots which means like all different angles to catch everyone's reaction and that's why like in the fireside chat scene you have so many good reaction shots because he's like okay let's do it but it's all pod's face now or let's do it and it's all this person's face and so he has so much to work with yeah. in the edit in terms of like nuance mm, and reaction that's awesome so, that's very yeah. cool yeah um speaking of processing also for danny she hasn't gotten the chance which is kind of a mess by the writers maybe that she hasn't gotten a chance to process the process the fact that her child is being ridden by the Night King and coming for them. So we have yet another possible quote-unquote Carsey. That's the thing now. We call it a Carsey moment when <laughs> yeah. someone can't face this undead child of theirs, you know, coming mm -hmm. at them. That's a very specific uh, yeah. reference there. You did see that when Bran reminded her that the Night the Night's King has her dragon in yeah. her face. You know, you could see kind of shock on her face in that this last week. Yeah, the conversation kind of moved on really quickly, but yeah. Yeah, that was it. And we also got, I, mean, I brought it up in last week's episode, we got that scene where she's talking about the dragons don't like the North. And I brought it up then. I was like, the dragons are depressed. They lost their sibling. You lost your child. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course they're not eating. But like, I, I would have thought that in that, maybe in that scene would have been a perfect example of her to say it. Like, the dragons aren't eating. They don't like the North. And, you know, my, my, my Viserian has gone it would have just been like a good a place to just like remind people yeah yeah that's a good point okay um we had a we couple of miscellaneous items left but yeah, we'll probably just, just do you want to hit any of this or should we just i don't think it's important it? i'll give a shout out um brendan beefish Brendan blackfish he posted on reddit um a little breakdown of the winterfell battle with an image and everything like that so anyone mm -hmm. who was wondering you know the positioning of everything you can find it easily on the our asyf subreddit um, and I thought, people have been asking me about the board. We really wanted to get into it in this episode. But we're just going to see on Sunday how things pan out. So. Yeah. Did we're you put the fine. image up? I will put the image okay, up cool. now. So people at least see it. So you can see. It gives you something to talk about or think about. It and you can, least, yeah. you can look at the Reddit post for, I mean, it's, it, that's the great thing about this fandom is, and really fandoms in general is that people can specialize so much. And so he can cover all this military stuff while we chillax he, yeah and to, to just to say one more thing about it jeff is a military man himself uh active duty and he thinks that this stuff makes a lot of sense like the way they're arraying it is actually makes is actually logical uh mm -hmm. so that's cool that's good yeah. so mm -hmm. makes so, maybe maybe encourage more people to dig into it yeah, knowing so. that it's uh quality mm -hmm. all right uh, i know joanna you have to go in a second here so we'll let's get this uh, wrapped up any other thoughts anyone um anyone at all um I guess I'll throw out there just because I've had a couple of people ask me about it. Um, people were wondering about Sansa's conversation with Bronze Jan Royce. 
um, that Danny walks mm. in on. They're just talking about their plans. They say, the moment mm. we can get the last infantrymen out onto the field, we should shut the gates. Keep them open for as long as you can. There are still people coming in from the countryside. Mm. Um, and I and Joe Buckley, who helps us with our documents um, and all that, chimed in saying that he thinks this will be a lot um, more important, This sort of mm. these sort of decisions in the books. Mm, yeah, um, I remember, on, yeah, if we remember uh, Ed Muir trying to feed everyone at River Run and, and right. Brendan Teller was like, nah, you gotta, we, yeah. this is about survival and, and so, we gotta kick out yeah. the, the mouth. So I, pre I appreciate this shot of seeing Sansa like in a meeting. She's doing, she's working all the time. She's, yeah. you know, I, I like just, even though it's there's There are so many Sansa talking to Jan Royce being interrupted moments this, so far this season. <laughs> and I love that. I love this. It's just like Sansa and Jan are doing their business and they're like, oh, what now? Yeah. We're doing our business. <laughs> also notable that she eats uh, the, the same food everybody else is eating. Yeah, she's eating there with cool. Jan. They eat a nice meal together. Cool. Their last meal, potentially like their last meal, you know, and stuff like that. Very meaningful. Yeah. Okay. I don't um, think it's still, it's all, both. I don't think it's Sansa's last meal. She's living. Yeah, I think Sansa's going to be fine. <laughs> Theon. A little worried about Theon. Yeah. Theon, we'll not so much. That's with Theon's last supper. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thank you to all of our live watchers. Thank you for all the fantastic questions. Thank you for liking and sharing and supporting History of Westeros. And thank you to our wonderful guest, Lady Gwen. Please tell everyone where to find Radio Westeros. We'll put that reminder in there every once in a while. Oh, yeah, you can find us at uh, RadioWesteros.com, iTunes. Uh, we do have a Patreon. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, wherever. We're everywhere. <laughs> Radio Westeros, and you'll find us wherever you find your stuff. <laughs> cool, cool. And Joanna Robinson, thank you so much for coming. It was awesome to have you. We're, it's a very special uh, thing to have you here. So please also tell everyone I, where to find us. We'll oh. say, I put in the description, I'd like put a link. Like I put Radio Westeros, RadioWesteros.com. Joanna Robinson, I'm like, what do I link to? I just Twitter <laughs> at Joe wrote this. Like they'll find it. There's too many things. <laughs> so um, tell us. No, Push uh, off your title. Yeah. You need a herald. <laughs> Yes, you do need a herald. <laughs> no. um, I just, I will say that uh, what if we make it all through this, like, pop culture apocalypse that is Avengers Endgame and Game oh, of Thrones, God, yeah. you, Battle yeah. of Winterfell together, then yeah. we will consider ourselves victorious. So, yeah. yeah. Well Thank said. you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. Thanks also to Michael Klarfeld of Claradox.de for our maps and video intro. And outro. And outro, yes. Okay. And our music care of Joey Townsend and Jesse Kowal. Uh, writing help from Joe Buckley was present in this episode. And we'll see some of you at Ice and Fire Con. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, I got to wow. so much. Like, <laughs> yes. oh, it's like, I have panels, panel tomorrow, pool party. It's going to be lovely. I can't wait to see you all. <laughs> um, we'll be at 24 hours from now. We'll be in our panel. Yeah, we will. Exactly. 24 hours. Lady Gwen and I are on Good Guy Rhaegar. We'll be talking about Rhaegar and why he's good or not so good, or at least meh. I don't know. Uh, well, let me do a few patrons. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I said, bring your opinions. Yeah, bring your opinions, indeed. <laughs> well, let me do some patron shout outs here yeah. as our end roll. Joanna, feel free. You don't have to, you know, you you have to leave, go. So. I know you had, you had a hard out. Okay. Like six minute pass. Thank six you, guys. Pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Okay, uh, thank you to patrons who make the show possible. We've been getting a lot of new support lately. We very, very much appreciate that. It is uh, wind in our sails and uh, food in our bellies <laughs> and, and new microphones and things like that. Oh, yeah. The mysterious BR is our hand of the king. 
The Smiling Wolf, Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, is soldier, scholar, philosopher, diplomat, and Hand of Queen Ashea, who is known as the best. Lord Jim, the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire, is Warden of the West. Uh, Lord George Storms of the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by Flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet led by Flagship Prince Damon. Our King Beyond the Wall, Sidney Jesse, is the Fallborn, Lord of Bluespring and the Haunted Forest, wields a dagger of dragonglass and the Valyrian steel blade Red Frost. Our small council is Lord Daniel, the sneaky Russian master of ships, Grand Maester Via James, Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, master of laws, Lord Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, master of coin, Lord Johan of House Orcos, called Shadowhawk, is master of whisperers, Lady Diarlis of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is breaker of the Second Stone, Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Alicia Everlasting is of the Green Blood, Lady of Desert Rose. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter the Hawk's Eye is Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Kilcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alster Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is Guardian Ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, last scion of Clan McCulloch. The Bastard of the, we of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. Lady Baelish is Dark Widow of Harrenhal. Nevesa the Twinhearted is a suspected skin, ah, suspected skin changer, holder of Castle Carahelm. Sir Valentin of House of Jen is creator of the game of predictions, Free Game of Thrones Futures Market. Lady Lana Kelly of Wolf Island is Protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earthdog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrel's Bane, the Mighty Direweenie. Lady Raywin of House Dillsdane is the Star Spear. Peter Rivers, the Pale Dragon, is oh, is the Pale Dragon and heir to Bloodraven. Our, our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. The Queen's High Council is, has Bloody Ben Blackwood, Master of Whisperers, Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat, In the Shadows We Bear Our Claws, Grand Maester Elizabeth, Middle Daughter of Eliana Mormont, First Lady to Forge Both the Silver and Valyrian Steel Link, Denis of Lazar, Embar Perizis, Former Head of the Cell Sale Company, the Fiery Shepherds, ma uh, Master of Laws, and I have a Master of Coin too, Laura of House Brando. That's right. And in fact, Denise of Lazar is now a Sea Lord. He has oh. jumped ship, so to speak, from Master of Laws to a Sea Lord. And he is, uh, in, in fact, turning on you guys. He wants to take Rebea's job. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I should allow this sort of thing. Things are getting interesting. Uh, it seems like people should be chiller in the High Council. Not be into that. <laughs> He's a different kind of guy, this Denis of Lazar. Kingsguard is, is led by Lord Commander Miriam R. and backed up by Sir Dolores D., longest tenured white sword. Willa Crowsbane is Guardian of White Tree, First Lady of the Free Folk. Sir Dean the White is Knight of the Black Star. Sir George of House Pepsi is the Beverage Knight. Gregor Snow is called Snow Bear, a bastard of Winterfell. The Queensguard is led by Lord Captain Commander Hema Helmuth, the Sellsword Sentinel. Has Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune, I Must Not Fear, Fear is the Mind Killer, Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North, Michonne the Melodious, Star of Old Town, Minds Over Masters, Ser Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood, Ser Leon of House Walker, Wielder of the Twin Valyrian Steel Blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood Bow, Rain, along with Amber the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist, and Mother of Squids. Mm hmm. 
And also thank you to, last but not least, our <clears throat> History of Westeros Night's Watch, which is led by Lord Commander Benjamin Umber, the Silent Giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword, Winter's Kiss, First Builder Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, the Fire and the Snow, First Steward Sir Jurian of the Torrentine called Pale Wind, and First Ranger Sir Source Delica of House Gramercy. Very, very good, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Ashea. Thank you again to Joanna and Lady Gwen and everybody else. We will see you guys soon after a huge battle. What is going to be the longest ever episode of Game of Thrones is this Sunday, so enjoy it. Also a reminder that we will not be doing a Saturday episode because we will be at Iced Firecon, but we will be releasing an episode on Saturday, so you'll get something from us. And an extra shout out to Lady Gwen for sitting through the Patreon credits when she, when she didn't technically have to. <laughs> yes, thanks, Lady We did not release her, and she's had to sit here. We get to talk to her afterwards offline, and the rest of you can be jealous about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, Valar, reread us, everyone. <laughs>